Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. He loves you so much that he won't answer live. But until you enter into this rest and quit being sour, thinking that God's letting you down, it'll keep the new thing from happening. The prayer that we should all pray on a regular basis is, God, not my will, but let your will be done. It's okay to say, God, this is what I'm believing for. God, this is what I want. This is what I'm dreaming about. But God, if you have something better, I trust you. You know what's best for me. If you're only going to be happy if God does it your way, then you're not really trusting. We can only see a little bit down the road. God can see the big picture. He can see around every curve. He knows where the dead ends are, where the shortcuts are. God knows how to get you to your destination. Why don't you take your hands off the wheel, so to speak, and let God take you where he wants you to go? 2001, an executive flew to Houston for an important job interview. It was at a top company, one of the largest in the nation, headquartered right here in Houston. In the natural, it was a golden opportunity. It looked like a huge boost for his career. He was ready to give up his position of nearly 30 years and move his family here to town. He flew in a day early, came to the service, and asked us to pray over the interview. We prayed that God would give him wisdom and favor and cause him to stand out. Called back the next day so excited. Everything had gone great, looked very promising. Three weeks later, he was invited back for a second interview. Once again, he flew in a day early. We prayed. He went to the interview. A few hours later, they called him back in said, we really like you, you're very talented, but we're sorry. You're not going to fit with our organization. You would have thought that his world had just ended. He was so set on having that position, he felt like God had totally let him down. I told him what I'm telling you. You've got to trust God even when you don't get the answer that you were looking for. You've got to believe that God's in control, he's directing your steps, keeping you on the best plan for your life. He went back home to his city very, very disappointed. Six months later, the company he was trying to get a position with filed for bankruptcy. It was a big scandal all over the national news. The company ended up totally folding. Here's how good God is. He was two years away from his retirement. If he had gotten hired by that company, he would not only not have a job, but he would have lost nearly 30 years of his retirement benefits. Friends, God knows what he's doing. Quit fighting against what doesn't go your way. Quit being disappointed because your plans didn't work out. You may not understand it now, but one day you will thank God for those closed doors. God's ways are better than our ways. Don't try to figure it all out. Well, Joel, why didn't I get the promotion? I had the seniority. I worked the hardest. Listen, just as God supernaturally opens doors, God will supernaturally close doors. 
We all thank God for the open doors, and that's good. We should celebrate that. But I've learned to thank God just as much for my closed doors. What I used to see as a disappointment, now I see as the hand of God. I realize if God closed it, he has something better in store. Why don't you trust him? Why don't you enter into that rest? God, you know what's best for me. I don't have to have my way to be happy. I know your plans are better than my plans. A few years back, a young lady came to the altar for prayer. She was very distraught because her boyfriend had just broken up with her. She was certain he was the man of her dreams. She couldn't live without him. We prayed and asked God to restore that relationship. For the next six months, almost every week, she would come back for prayer. We prayed again and again. I tried to tell her to stay open, trust God to do it his way. He knows what's best for you. She didn't want to hear any of that. She only wanted God to do it her way. But God is so merciful. He loves us so much. If it's not the right thing, God will keep the door closed even though we're trying to pry it open. We see it as a big disappointment. God, I can't believe you let me down. You didn't answer my prayer. The truth is, God was doing us a favor. He was saving us from heartache and pain. I didn't see her for a long time. About five years later, I ran into her in the lobby after the service. She was very happy. She had a handsome young man by her side, a newborn baby. Come to find out they were married a couple of years earlier. She was so excited. I congratulated them, prayed over the little baby. At one point, her husband stepped away. She whispered, Joel, you remember the young man I used to have you pray about all the time? I thought, yeah, the one you couldn't live without. She told how he's been married and divorced twice already. He's constantly in and out of trouble, can't hold down a good job. I'll never forget what she said. I thank God every day that he didn't answer those prayers. (laughs) But I wonder... How many things are we upset over, wondering why God didn't answer that prayer, why the situation didn't change, why the door closed? Yet if God were to pull back the curtain and let us see into the future what he can see, we'd realize God knows exactly what he's doing. God has our best interest at heart. That promotion you didn't get, you were so disappointed, it's because God has something better. That door that closed, we couldn't understand it seemed like a perfect fit for us, but seeing the big picture, we realized that road was a dead end. It was leading to nowhere. That traffic jam you got caught in, you were so stressed out, it was saving you from an accident. That person that walked out on you, very painful, but if they hadn't left, you would meet the right person God has in your future. I'm asking you to quit fighting against everything you don't like. It's not happening to you, it's happening for you. When you're at rest, you're passing the test. A friend of mine went up to the mall recently to return an item. She had her little newborn baby in the back seat. When she pulled in the parking lot, she noticed this lady was about to pull out, and she waited there and waited and waited and waited. The lady was taken forever. The longer she waited, the more frustrated she became. She thought, come on, lady, I know you can see me. What could be taking you so long? After several minutes, she got aggravated and just drove off, went and parked at the very end of the road. 
She got out, got her little baby, and headed to the store. When she got to the front of the store, she realized she had forgotten the item that she wanted to take back. She was already frustrated. She thought, this is just not my day. Nothing is going my way. She walked all the way back to her car, long way, with her baby, got the item she needed, turned back and started walking toward the store. When she got about halfway there, this car came around in a big rush, rolled down the window and said, hey, don't go in the store. There's a deranged man in there with a gun taking people hostage. In less than a minute, there were a dozen police cars, SWAT team, helicopter surrounding that place, trying to get the people out safely. Without that delay, she could have been in there with her newborn baby trapped with that deranged man. What am I saying? Don't fight your delays. Don't fight the inconveniences. Don't fight when you get caught by that train. You may not understand it, but God knows what he's doing. He can see the big picture. Dare to trust him. Proverbs 20 says, Since the Lord is directing our steps, why do we try to figure out everything that happens along the way? You may never know why you had a delay, a disappointment, a setback. But when you really believe that the creator of the universe has you in the palm of his hand, then you can stay in peace even when you don't understand it. That's what faith is all about. I know a gentleman that does missionary work in Africa. He was supposed to catch an early morning flight the next day to come back home. The person taking him had car trouble, and he ended up missing that flight very upset because it was going to take him another week to get home from that small city. Went back to the hotel a little later that afternoon, flipped on the news. The plane he was supposed to be on had crashed into the mountainside. And some of the very things that we fight against, the things that frustrate us, God has ordained them to keep us from accident and harm. They're called divine delays. Your plans are interrupted on purpose. Since the Lord is directing our steps, don't fight it. It's not always going to make sense. I turned 50 years old in March of this year, and I was reflecting back over my... Thank you, thank you. Still good looking, though. All right, come on. I was reflecting back over my life and just thinking about what would I have done differently? What could I have done better? I have no big regrets. I've lived a happy, blessed life. But one adjustment I would have made is I would have trusted God more. I wouldn't have worried about things that I couldn't change. I wouldn't have been stressed out when my plans didn't work out. I wouldn't have stayed awake at night wondering how are we going to raise the funds and what am I going to speak on next week. I would have entered into this place of rest. Some of you are always fighting, worried, uptight, don't like where you are, don't like the job, don't like the people. Why don't you try a different approach? This will save you a lot of frustration. Embrace where you are. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when you don't like it, stay in peace. Keep a good attitude. When you do that, God is using it to your advantage. You're growing. You're developing character. It's positioning you for the amazing future God has in store. And if you will enter into this rest, and not fight against everything, you'll not only enjoy your life more, 
that I believe and declare, just like David, you're going to step into the fullness of your destiny. God is going to take you further than you've imagined, opening doors that no man can shut. You're going to overcome every obstacle, accomplish every dream, and become everything that God's created you to be. In Jesus' name, if you receive it, can you say amen today? We never like to close our broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me? Just say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. Friends, if you prayed that simple prayer, we believe you got born again. Get in a good Bible-based church. Keep God first place. He's going to take you places that you've never dreamed of. Start each day off right by having Joel lead you in declaring the truth of God's Word over your life through this powerful 31-day audio devotional. Say so. If you're going to go to the next level, you've got to say so. Say so. Available this month as a thank you for your support of our ministry. Declare the promises of God over your life. Request your copy of Say So today at joelosteen.com or call us toll free. Your partnership makes this ministry possible. Your faithful and consistent monthly support makes you a champion of hope. The vision of Joel Osteen Ministries is to use every avenue available to present the hope of Jesus Christ to people everywhere. Visit joelosteen.com slash today. Tune in tomorrow morning for another broadcast of Wake Up to Hope with Joel and Victoria. Right here, only on PBS. Okay, stand by. We're rolling. Put the cameras on. Bro, that's your line right there. Wait, Joe. Stay tuned. The morning's on TBN. We want to do new things in the morning. The other day we were talking about wake up to hope. It's pretty important to wake up to hope. I think it's a super important. 7 a.m., wake up to hope. How you start the day many times will determine what kind of day you're going to have. So I can't think of a better way to start the day than with hope. Amen. And I believe that the Bible says that His mercies are new every morning. And every morning we got to wake up to grace. What do you think? I think waking up to grace is good, but I like waking up to hope as well. I love waking up to grace. Just do both. Wake up to Hope and Grace, 7 a.m. Eastern and Pacific, 6 a.m. Central. GPN Netflix is sending the message of Hope and Grace. This is a miracle that only God can bring to pass. Alpha TV, the first Christian work in Finland, with all-day inspirational local programs. A huge blessing that changes life. That, that brings people out of the TV, just networks that are reaching the You're never going to go to Israel. Ever. This is the tour to go on. Start making plans for the Hope and Grace Israel tour. Walk where Jesus walked and see the Bible in a whole new way. And we're so excited. If you ever have had a chance to go to Israel, this is your chance. This is your moment. Hope and Grace 2018. You don't want to miss it. 
Up next, watch Joseph Pence proclaiming the gospel of grace on TVN. You're watching TVN, celebrating 44 years of God's miracles. The following paid program is sponsored by the friends and partners of Joseph Prince Ministries. Today with Joseph Prince. We're going to come to the place we must know the length, the depth, the breadth, the height. All three for the church we have there. To know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge. If you're sick, go to the gospel. Read through them. If you don't want to read the, the, um, the what do you call it, parables and all that, just read all the miracles. Many a times, even before I finish one book, I'm healed. Many a times, folks, you're discouraged. I open the gospel. told me to tell you is view the victory. And the man of God tells the newly minted king, open the window, the one that faces your enemy, and shoot your arrow over Aram. This is important because the battle hasn't even begun yet, but the prophet wants the king to see the victory before the fight starts. View your victory. You gotta see it before you can seize it. I see an arrow flying over arrow. Everybody's got an arrow. Everybody's got something oppressing you. State of mind, situation in life, emotional dysfunction. I could spend three minutes with you and get your arrow. I've been pastoring people a long time. I know I look 23, but I've got experience. I met crazy people, rich crazy people, skinny crazy people, poor crazy people, fat crazy people, black crazy people, white crazy people, Latino crazy people. I know crazy when I see it, and I'm looking at 27,000 crazies in the church today. Everybody has an animal. Why are you cheering about that? Cheering because you're crazy. It's that thing, watch this. Give the victory, but focus the fight. He told him which window to open, which signified which battle he needed to fight. And a lot of us aren't winning anywhere because we're trying to win everywhere. <laughs> Y'all don't remember the scene, but Rocky told Polly, he said, I, three, I, see, I see three of them out there. He was fighting Drago in Russia on Christmas Day. You need to know your history. And Polly told him, right, I, I, think, I think it's a, a word for somebody. He said, hit the one in the middle. I got it coming from the north and the south and the east and the west. 
and I don't, I don't know where to fight first. Any IT department will tell you, you can't do any work if you've got too many windows open. I'm happy this year. Open one window at a time. View your victory, but clarify the conflict. God, here's a prayer to pray. Pray this prayer. God, show me where to shoot. See, because action without aim leads to exhaustion. And a lot of people go into a new year uh, not, not with a sense of apathy, but with a sense of activity that is aimless. And they are out of arrows before February starts. 17 resolutions. Can't keep one. Too many windows. I could preach on the power of priority. It's not just that the prophet showed him the victory. He showed him which one needed to be next. And you know, God wants to speak to you if you will get with him. The king went down to the prophet. And the prophet pointed not only at the victory, the arrow flying over Aram. Everybody in here has an arrow. And everyone has an arrow. Are you more focused on your Aram or your arrow? A lot of us get so focused on the Aram that we're facing that we lose sight of the arrow of victory. We become discouraged in the fight because we have no focus. Watch the arrow. Because if you look at Aaron, you'll always be intimidated. If you look at how big the enemy is, you will always lose strength, heart, and courage. But if you watch the arrow, if you look for the activity of God, he will show you where to shoot. He will show you what to work on. And you can't win everywhere at once. I've had to learn this the hard way because I can be a very arrogant person. I can think I can handle stuff I can't handle and do more than I can do until I collapse. And it was in a ministerial meltdown that Pastor Craig taught me the most valuable lesson he ever taught me, and he's taught me a lot. He said, you've spent your whole life trying to figure out how to win. Now you need to decide where to win. Where does God want you to win? I'm asking you, where Concord, where Lake Norman, where Lakeney, where does God want you to win? Because you can't win every battle at once. Aaron wasn't the only enemy, it was the next one. I can't win everywhere at once. And I'm going to tell you something else. I can't please everybody. I've got to let some people down in order to aim my life in the direction of my destiny. I can't please everybody. Can you imagine what kind of pastor I would be if I tried to please everybody? Huh? How many times would I have to change clothes during one sermon? 
if I wanted to please everybody. Can't please everybody. I'm not aiming to. If I please God and Holly, I'm good. Did you notice the footnote? I'm aiming at something. I'm aiming at something. I'm aiming at something. I'm not just I'm not just shooting every direction this year. I'm aiming at something. That means I have to be realistic, not only about where I want to win, but where I might have to lose. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you might not get around to all of it this year. Okay? You might lose some this year. You might not get to eat organic and get out of debt this year. You might have to save a little bit so you can afford to shop at Whole Foods. So get the money, then get the apples. You follow me? You might not get to take a promotion while your kids are young and be at the house like you want to. You might need to make a little less. Because the window of more money will be there in 10 years. But the window of childhood is closing. You might have to make some decisions. To win, to aim. You might not have to take it. Tina, to every day of the competition. You might have to teach her that we go to church on the weekend. So, so I mean, he said, shoot out the east window. God, show me the right direction to aim my arrows this year. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my money. I don't want to waste my thoughts. I don't want to waste my pain. I want to apply myself in the direction of my destiny. And I believe God's going to show us some stuff in this series. He's going to show you how to point your life in the direction of your purpose. Well, that's going to be a good week when we get to that. People, please, this is just an introduction. I've got some stuff to show you from the Word of God. I hope you're going to be here every week of this series. Make it your aim. Make it your aim. You show up to other stuff consistently. I don't feel angry when I'm saying this. I just feel accurate. I just feel like this is exactly what you need to hear. Take the ball. Open the window. Shoot, let's go through the passage one more time. He said, verse 15, get a bow, take the bow, open the window. And when he shot the arrow out the window, he promised him victory. Uh, The progression of the text is a little unsettling at this point. What happens next is what happens in a lot of our lives when church is over. And we have to apply what we have heard. And my first point is view your victory. And I want you to see it and I want you to shout about it. That's important. My second point was 
focus the fight. Because you can't win everywhere at once and you've got to decide what God has called you to do. You don't have to raise your kids like they raise their kids. You raise your kids the way God shows you to raise your kids. Amen. And you've got to focus the fight for your fight, for your battle, for your calling. It might not look like everybody else's. But can I tell you something? Jehoash's real fight was not against Aram. Even though they were his external enemy, his biggest fight was not out the east window. And your biggest fight is never out there. After the prophet told him to open the window and and get a victory in view, shoot the arrow in the direction of his next battle, focus his attention, focus his energy, focus his effort, the next thing he tells him to do is what you must do if you're going to move past intention into implementation and go from seeing it to seizing it. Then he said, next instruction, verse 18, take the arrows, the same ones that were just flying. Now take them, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground, and he struck it three times and stopped. Three times and stopped. I heard the prophet say, get I heard the prophet say, take. I heard him say, open. I heard him say, shoot. And I heard him say, strike. But I didn't hear him say, stop. And I hear God saying to someone, someone who has taken the arrow in your hand and you kind of half-heartedly done it and kind of messed around with it and kind of tried at it and stopped short. See, this is what I used to preach. I had this sermon, and when I would get to this point, I would take my microphone. I preached this all over the world. I preached it in Australia and uh, London, England and, and South America. And I'll get to this point and I would demonstrate. I'd take the microphone and I'd start pounding it on my Bible. I'd pound that microphone. I was the most feared preacher for every sound technician <laughs> in the world. And uh, I'm not going to do that illustration here because this microphone's expensive and uh, I pay for it. But. But he stopped short, and he stopped striking, and the prophet watched this. The man of God, verse 19, was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. In other words, I didn't say stop. You're good at starting stuff. But the moment your hands get tired and the ground gets hard, you stop. You should have. What a terrible place to end your year. You should have kept striking. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Times. Look at verse 20. Elisha died and was buried. 
and the window closed. And you should have. You should have. I don't know about you, but I don't want to look back on any more seasons of my life thinking about what I should have and what could have. This year, I will work my window. This year. And let me tell you, let me tell you how I know. I have determined the decision in advance. Quitting is not an option. It's not an option. It's not an option for me to stop short. It's not optional. I have determined the decision. I don't wait until I get tired to decide if I'm going to do it. I decided it in advance. I pre-decided it. I pre-decided. I pre-decided. Pre-decision. Pre-decision. Before I get into temptation, I determine my response. Before I get discouraged, I determine to keep going. It's the power of precision. I have aimed in the direction of completion, and I will not stop until it comes to pass. Somebody give them 17 seconds of praise. Some, some think that Elisha could have been 110 years old at this point. 
And when he took his hands, his old tired hands, his calloused hands that had worked miracles. Remember, Elisha was an action man. He's the one who told the kings to dig the ditches in the valley where they saw no rain because if you will do it, if you will do what you can do, God will do what you can't do. I never, I never felt so strong and so clear in my spirit about what to say. I never have. God said, it's his arrow, but it's your effort. It's his victory, but it starts with your vision. And so we're going to drive it down. He said you should strike five or six times. That's what we're going to do over the next several weeks. And every week you come, it's going to be a principle. I'm going to call them my six power windows. None of this. Come on, somebody. Roll it down. Roll it down. Roll it down. Roll it down. Six power windows. And I want you to come and I want you to tune in online. And I want some of you to make a trip and come be with us live. Make a road trip out of it. Make a weekend out of it. Because this is our only season. Please, please. Take aim. God, what is it you want me to focus on this year? We're going to sort that out. Take action. What do you want me to do? Do it like it's already done. Do it like it's already done. Mom, is it true? I used to walk around with my walking all around the neighborhood listening to cassette tapes of Pentecostal preachers. I went to a Baptist church, so I had to pull out my cassette tapes to get some real preaching. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. I'll get you a Baptist to leave me alone. And uh, I would envision the day I could preach to people. They found a tweet from Deshaun Watson. I'm sorry to keep talking about Clemson, but... I had to work my window. Where four years ago, as a high school junior, Google this, I promise you it's the truth. Google will verify what I'm saying to you. He tweeted as a junior in high school, me, in the national championship game, waiting for that chance. And Grant was reviewing the victory because he previewed the victory. And he didn't just wait for it. He worked on it. We're going to get to work this year. Hands lifted all over this place. The Spirit of God is here. Pray it out loud, Lord. Show me where to shoot. Show me where to focus. Now let's make some declarations. I declare the victory of God over every weakness in my life. I declare the arrow of victory over arrow, over fear, over anxiety, over my past. Come on, I declare my potential shall come to pass. It is my year. Come on, I want somebody else to take the shot. What the enemies of Jesus did know and no attention to the problem is that the cross was always pointing toward the empty tomb. Every crucifixion points to resurrection. Every defeat points toward victory. Come on, lift your hands one more time. Why don't you point your praise in the direction of your promise? 
come on, point at it. Point at it. Call it out. Call it out. Call your shots this year. This year I will. This year I win. I declare it in advance. I am a major. I am an overcomer. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. I will, I will, I will, I will. I will, I will. Have you ever felt like you just had so many things going on in your life, so many different battles, so many different needs, so many different things screaming for your attention? You thought, I just knew which one to focus on. Maybe I could be successful. If I could just get some direction to know what God wants me to do with my life, where he wants me to focus my energy, what are the priorities of this next season of my life? That's what this new resource, Work Your Window, is all about. It's helping you take pain and take action in the areas that matter most to you. Yeah, it's been so helpful for me even when I feel like as a mom I've got all these plates spinning and I don't know which one I need to keep going, which one I just can't let fall. And this great candle for me to really know what to focus on. Well, it's practical and it's inspirational. We want you to get it today that you've got to take action. Remember what one great teacher said, opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. If you don't know what to do with the opportunity when it comes, you may never get it again. So this is a special offer today. Give us a call right now. We want to get this new series, Work Your Window, in your hands. You can go online. Stay tuned for more details about this series. We want to hear from you today. There's no shame in falling short. Stopping short, that's, that's a different thing altogether. No one stops short. That's a lot of Should have been, you would have. I can stay with you for a lifetime. Tell your hearts for a minute. Regret stays with you for quite a while. The good news is the window's still open. The good news is if you stop striking, there's nothing to stop you from picking up the next arrow today. Life is full of opportunities. They may not always look the way you expect. But it's your choice to embrace the opportunities or resist them. Through this series, Work Your Window, you'll be able to move forward into your future with confidence instead of living with regrets caused by indecision. I'm telling you, the shame of falling short is worse than the pain of falling short. Why don't you press? Why don't you learn? Why don't you go? Why don't you start? I'm not leaving any arrows on the ground. I'm using every arrow. It's time to take aim and take action. Call it online to request your copy of Work Your Window today. The window of opportunity is open now.
talking about yourself, your boyfriend or girlfriend, so chill out. I'm not asking you to break up with somebody today. I'm talking about breaking up with comfortable Christianity. Our faith was meant to be tested. We're supposed to have moments that feel like they're too much to handle. These moments are God's greatest opportunities. Oh, I feel things that happen. In the middle of a storm, my faith doesn't mean it's not going to rain. My faith means I'm going to make it to the other side. Through whatever waves I have to cross over. Rediscover your faith while watching Elevation with Stephen Furtick every day on the Hillsong Channel. Well, the Hillsong Channel is such a blessing to us and the opportunity to take television around the world. We're excited that the team that's with us and this is growing. By team, I mean you. And I would love you to become part of a subscription where we will send you a team box. In other words, every month you will get all sorts of sports, resources, information that will help you to feel like you're part of that team and will help us to take this great message forward. Introducing the Hillsong Team Box, an exclusive monthly subscription that delivers everything Hillsong directly to your door. Here's how it works. Each month, we'll send you the Hillsong Team Box full of exclusive resources at 50% off, free shipping in the U.S., and no hidden fees. A combination of worship, books, t-shirts, apparel, devotionals, and more. Join a group of people across the globe who are bringing the hope of Jesus to humanity. Visit hillsong.com forward slash team to join today. relationship with God. Every single person in this room, we need to be looking for someone to raise up. Who are you investing in? The greatest investment in your life is not companies and buildings, it's people. Hi, I'm Paul. Almost 10 years ago, my dad, my hero, my pastor, passed away unexpectedly. He built a big church and left some pretty large shoes to fill. When he died, I didn't just lose my dad. I lost my faith. I lost my purpose and my future. But God showed up and restored my faith. And he gave me a message of hope to share with you. You're here on purpose. God's not finished with you yet. Your best days are right in front of you. And you have victory in your life because Jesus lives in you. What will you leave when you leave? What will you leave when you leave? Will you leave a legacy of bitterness, a legacy of stinginess, or a legacy of generosity? How will they remember you as the one who never paid for anybody's meals or the one who was always trying to bless other people? Will they remember you as the
Oh! 
When I called on you, you were there for me. Lord, you stepped in. Lord, you stepped in. Yeah. When I called out your name, you gave the message. It's by the grace of God, I'm still here.
so we can be used of you, Lord. Help us to get out of our own way, Lord. Help us to get up out of our own way when we're stopping the progress of what you want to do. Help us to see you, not our desires, but your desires. Then help us to line up with what you want to do, Lord. Sometimes, Father, we're the biggest hindrance to progression. Sometimes, Holy Spirit, it is the eye that stops the wheel. It is what I want. It is a how I feel. It is what I think that gets in the way of what we, meaning we, we've gotten to the point that we lined up with you. We mean we've gotten to the submission aspect where we submit our will to your will and becomes a we. Other than that, it's an I. Because ultimately, it's what you want. See, that's what Paul had gotten to the point of understanding when he said, I'm a bond slave. I'm a willing slave of Christ. He didn't have to force me to do this. This is something that I'm willing to do. I'm a bond slave. I'm willing to give myself totally to my master because that's my desire. Now, it takes a little bit to get to that point. I don't think you're going to say that and get to that overnight because, see, there's a whole lot of you all up in that. And even if you can get to the point that you say it out of your mouth, you have your own motives. Oh, shit, But God, but God, just continue to yield, continue to seek, and continue to just allow God to be God. He'll grow you there. He'll take you there. Then you know it's just a decision. It's not something you force yourself to do or something I got to do. And I'm not trying to say that I'm there, people. I'm just telling you what I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to get an understanding of. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of death. Mortification, mortification of self, denial, growth, increase. But that's what God desires for his bride, which we are. We are the bride of Christ, his body, the church. We are the bride of Christ, whom he came to sacrifice, whom he came to live for, whom he came, got up off a deity because he had you in mind. He said, one day Arthur's going to need me for some healing. One day Lisa's going to need me for some peace of mind. Yes, yes, One day my children are going to need me. So I'm right now, he willingly gave his life so that you can have eternal life. He willingly sacrificed himself so that you can obtain that which you need for right now. So do you understand why Paul came to the point and said, Lord, I'm willing to be a son? Because I recognize that it was your willing sacrifice that allowed me to have everything that I'm half on this planet, Lord. So, Father God, grow us up. Increase in our lives. Direct our steps. Order our steps. Anoint our steps. 
heal us and make us whole. Take us on the pathway that you want us to walk. To truly be you, Bible.
Посвящаемый гостю, гостящий, 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 Run the position of 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 the position
Pastor Mark, who's going to go to the
financial breakthroughs and turnarounds, run to go sushi to go sushi to sushi to center, run to go sushi to go sushi to sushi to center, run to go sushi to sushi to sushi to center, run to go sushi to sushi to center, center.
and come the God of my raging king. So I lift my hand and that is confession that ensures me victory. I shall be I shall be I shall be
And your brother will you want to fulfill. I've got to have you feel. I make it by myself. I'm going to fall down on my knees and pray. Oh, 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 oh,
sing it like this tonight.
Thank you, Father God. Thank you for the anointing, for the covering. Continue to minister to us. Thank you, Father. Haraka, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, let's see what Mark's going to get me beat up about again today. He's just having fun with this book. Anointed for Business by Ed Silvoso. Before I even go there, I'm going to go someplace else. i got to go up to my confessions, which I haven't said in a while. 
But it's easier for me to walk up the stairs than it is to try to find it in the Bible, so. You know the stove is ringing, Daddy? I, I just, I didn't know what that was. It's the stove, whatever. No, it's the stove is saying in, so I don't know what you. Okay. They're not done. You might want to cook them a little bit longer. They're almost done. Well, that's me. You might want them that way. Yeah, that'll work. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go again. And I think Deborah took it off my wall, so it's probably not up there. Now, here it is, I think. Hmm. Nope, she took it off my wall. But Mark, if he's on, he would probably know. I had on a um, wall that you would be first partake of the fruits. I wanted to read the scripture for what it said. And, I mean, it's even ties in what we've been studying, spirit, soul, and body. A lot of times, a lot of my personal confessions, when I would be reading them, something would just go, hmm. Sometimes I would see exactly what it is, but other times I would just, mm, it would strike me. So the one that says first partake of the fruits, it, it struck me. And so I knew it was a confession that I needed to speak over my life. But I really didn't understand it until one day in the, one many conversations we have on the prayer line. First partake of the fruits, in other words, those things that you've been sowing, then when the harvest comes in, you begin to reap. See, even when I was saying I would read it, but I didn't totally grasp it, but just like I told my daughter about reading Proverbs, you just keep being diligent about it because what you're doing is you're sowing seed inside your own spirit. Then when it came out, first partake of the fruits, because as we say a lot of times on the line, when we're ministering to others, we're ministering to ourselves. I begin to understand because as the harvest is coming in, I'm eating and I begin to really see. I begin to see a lot of things that we've been talking about and things, how it affected me. And so that's coming back to this book, Anointed for Business, where I say it's going to cut me. It's cutting me because it's showing me a lot of me. And hopefully it's showing you a lot of you. That cutting is those areas of your life that you're growing, you need to grow. God is catching your attention. See, we come spirit, soul, and body, and that's what I said even in scriptures, that, that that's your intuition, that's your spirit speaking to you and say, this is important. You need to confess this. You need to grow this up in your life. You need to speak. You need to plant whatever it is you need to do. Later on, you'll get a revelation. That revelation's in your mind, but right now your spirit is saying, speed me, I mean, feed me. So that's what happens when, when you get that, that pause, when you see a verse or something that just makes you stop. Just like Lisa said, you know, she just was driving and something hit her. So that's the spirit speaking to you, showing you and teaching different things.
So now as we're reading this book, Anointed for Business, because some of you all are called to go into business, bottom line, that's it, that's all. And, ooh, is it to be a great businessman and woman? No, I'm fine. You don't know what it's really about? I'm going to be very honest with you. From God's point of view, it's about let me get you in a position that you will be comfortable and cared for, but then you'll be capable of going out to do what I called you to do. Ooh, did you did you understand that? Because, see, when you're – he got to grow you up through that process, though, but when you've got a business – now, understand the difference between being self-employed and a business. A business is something that you can leave for several weeks and it still creates a profit. That means the systems are set in place and they will manage themselves and still create a profit. That's not being self-employed. Right now I'm self-employed. I'm trying to make that transition, and it's a hell of a transition. See, self-employed in a job on the same aspect, a business and a, an investor on two on the other plane. That's the four quadrants of of uh, four quadrants of making money. So now, if God can get you in a business where you still have your needs cared for, you still got those things needs because you you got to eat, you got to live, you gotta you gotta pay your bills. But now, what happens when you are a business owner? You are more freer. I didn't say you are free. I said more freer. What do I mean more freer? That means you can kind of navigate your time. Now, hell, you see me navigate mine. Mine is from 6 to 10, a hell of a navigation. Okay? 6 in the morning to 10 at night. I said, if it ain't done by 10, I'm quitting. Between 8 and 10 is my quitting time. Sometimes I go a little over, seldom is it around 8. But... He's giving me what I need and sustaining me to get things done so I can get to the next level. See, but because of the fact that I am kind of, so I don't really, I, I govern my schedule, but I really don't. But I'm freer to come here and to do the things that I'm doing on this line, et cetera. That's really what it's all about. God's trying to get you in a position so that you can be able and capable of going out to do his work while he sustains you. And even as we're reading in this book, we're reading about those people in the Bible. See, that's the other thing. See, now that this person is writing a book because they have a spirit and a mind about business, they're bringing things out of Scripture, which is business-related. When he's talking about Aquila and Priscilla and even Paul, I knew Paul was a tent maker, but I didn't even get the understanding of how much that really meant. And he's even talking about Jesus, about how he had to be a businessman. See, these are things that the revelation comes to you from the mind of God as he's showing and teaching you different things. So now, coming back, why you can't really lollygag and I just want, it ain't about what you want to do, boo. Not when God's got requirements and demands on your life. He's trying to get you in a position so that you will be cared for and able to go about to do his work. That's really what it's all about. So now that I've said that, I'm going to do the reading. Y'all like, man, we get a message before we even get the message. Mark's fault. The Disciples and the Marketplace, Chapter 3. Jesus intentionally recruited marketplace people who were not members of the religious establishment because his objective was to create a new social vehicle, the church, a movement that was meant to be the counterculture rather than the subculture. Oh, we're going to start off kicking it. We're going to start off a counterculture, not the subculture. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I think it's, um, sorry, good morning. 
when you just said that, um, I was thinking about, you know, I don't know if it says it or if, it, if it's about to explain it, but what just hit me about what you just said is the difference between the subculture and the counterculture. Like, the, those prefixes, those Latin prefixes, those two words, to understand the difference between the two is very important. Come on, teacher. So perhaps, well, I, I didn't know if it was about to go on to say it, and I didn't want to be redundant. That's why I just wanted to say But, you know, so both of those prefixes are Latin prefixes. Um, sub means under, under, and counter means against or the opposite of. So, like, to counteract means to act against something. Um <clears throat> And, like, you know, uh, sub means under, like, submarine, all that stuff. So the difference between the, the two we're going to talk about, something that was so profound, but the author says, well, he says, well, she, I don't even know if it was a female that wrote it. But the author is saying that we are to move against, it's what we were talking about the systems before. We are to move in a way that is opposite of, counter, opposite of, against. Of uh, the status quo, mm. we have to move differently. That's what he calls disciples to do: not to be a part of the sub, not to be a subsidiary of, mm. or to be, um, you know, just another another piece that's underneath what has already been established. Because the idea is to change what is, what has already been established. Because clearly, what has been established is not in the light. Mm. And that's what I thought. Uh, what just hit me when you just said that was so important is that it's critical for the understanding. Because I can just say, all right, that's the first couple lines. We got to stop right there and understand the difference between the two in order to understand the mandate that that author is talking about. Mm. Counter means opposite of not to be a part of in and not of walking circumspect, walking around and not in instead of under which will put you the which will put you underneath the umbrella of it which means that you will just be yet another sex of the same thing. Doing the same thing with the same end goal. You just do another piece of the puzzle in there though. See the author said counterculture and not and not subculture but you said in culture. So, again, and that's what lines up with the scripture because the word says we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. So exactly what you said is that we have to be against the systems of the world, not with the systems of the world or below the system. Right, but you still have to be, you still have to be, um, you know, She's struggling about why I why I gotta go get my certification. Say that one more time.
time, people, they want they want stuff to change, but they want to be removed from it. It's like people who want to change the hood, you know, change the neighborhood and fight, um, you know, fight against the crime and the violence and stuff. You can't do that from Peel Hill. You can't do that from, you know, from the ha- living in the Hamptons and all of that stuff. You can give some money, but you don't even know where the money is going. The real change happens when you roll up your sleeves and you get down there in the trenches and you're down there with the people and you're making that stuff happen. That's where the real change It's just like, you know, like this school assignment that I have. You know, I, I you know, New Legacy, you know, it's, it's transforming. It's turning into something different because I got to see my family and I don't feel guilty about it at all because, you know, I can understand, you know, all the encouragement that I'm getting to keep going and keep going, but at the end of the day, am I going to live with you? When I get put out my house, you have room for me and my family. When we're not eating, are you going to feed us? You see what I'm saying? So um, with, that, with that transformation, I'm going back into the system where God, once again, set it up perfectly because his will is still being done. His will is still, um, he still made a, a way or a place for me to do exactly what I was doing with New Legacy. And that's what I was talking about. I know I'm off a little bit, but that's what I was talking about that day. I think we were off the call. I figured it was about two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, when I was saying that you can still walk in your purpose and your destiny, and you can still walk in obedience even if the platform changes. Because now I'm in, in the project with the kids who need me the most, these kids have already been written off. They've been written off. Their scores are so low. They don't even show up on the chart. That's how low their scores are. And so, I'm, you know, once again, I've been placed in a position, go get your people. Go get some babies. Teach them how to read. Teach them how to start a business. These kids are worse off. Then there's not no legacy kids. But I gotta get that because at first I was like, mm, Lord. But for a second, but then God was like, Don't be scared to come over here. I sent you over here because you have to be in it. If you're gonna make the change and go pull them babies out, you gotta take your behind down there, and you're not gonna be scared. How 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 can you go and make a difference from 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 DeKalb, from way far away when they have all the money and they have all the resources. Those, those kids need you there, but these kids are the ones who really need you. So, so, so get yourself together and go down there where I sent you to go so you can make this thing happen in the trenches. And that's as soldiers, sometimes we got to go in the trenches. We got to get down and grimy and dirty like the disciples did. Like Jesus did, and go where the people are, whoever your assigned people are. And it ain't going to always be pretty. But you got to walk in that thing sometimes and get some of that, some of that dirt on you, on your nice too. I'm just saying. Because Lord knows that I can be, you know, Whatever I can be, because I ain't never, I don't know nothing about who, I don't know nothing about projects, I don't know nothing about shit, and nothing about my rules. Shelter behind. But I know that in 
order to fulfill what God told me, uh, this is what I got to do. And I have to believe him for protection. And I have to believe him for, you know, that he's going to provide whatever I need. Because this guy ain't got no money and can't give me nothing. <clears throat> so I'm just saying, I was just saying uh, that not to be long-winded, but I was just saying that to kind of illustrate, you know, in real, in real long time, the point that I believe that the author was trying to make. Okay. All right, I'll do a little reading. <laughs> First picture we have of the in the marketplace with where Jesus met them. Peter and Andrew, professional fishermen, were busy casting the net into the sea when Jesus told them to follow him. Jesus next spotted James and John, partners with their father in a food enterprise. They were mending their nets doing a lull in the fishing. See Matthew 4, 21 through 22. Matthew received this call while in his tax office, Matthew 9 and 9. Nathaniel, whom Jesus saw sitting under a tree, was probably a farmer, John 1 and 48. All of the disciples were certainly marketplace people. None of the twelve was a leader in the temple or in the synagogue. Bypassing the religious circle was intentional on Jesus' part, as you will soon see. Writing of the Gospels, Christianity's most foundational documents, was entrusted not to religious scholars, but to marketplace leaders <clears throat> a medical doctor, Luke, a retired tax officer, Matthew, a partner in the food enterprise, John, and an unemployed millionaire, Mark. Hmm. That one about Mark. Interesting. Hey, well, I point this out about Mark, who also called John, because there's evidence to suggest that he came from a wealthy family. His mother Mary was the one in whose house had met to pray. His mother Mary was the one in whose house many met to pray for Peter's release from prison. Acts twelve twelve through seventeen. She must have a large house to accommodate such a gathering. When Peter knocked at the door, Rhonda, a maidservant, answered. Ah, oh, wow! See what I'm talking about? See that that's the that's the word of God that He has to reveal all this stuff to you. Average person gonna have a maid servant at their house. Come on now, and the house was so big that they didn't. Everybody, I ain't even finished reading it, but I'm already there. Everybody didn't hear. Well, if your house only got two rooms, when they knock on the doors there, you're gonna hear it. Mm. Peter knocked at the door. Rhonda, a maid servant, answered. <laughs> Poor people did not have servants, and their homes did not have gates. Come on now, startled. Rhonda ran inside without opening the gate. Mm. Peter kept on knocking, but was not heard by the other people inside Mary's house. The house must have had a long entranceway. Maybe it was Mark's comfortable upbringing that caused him to desert Paul and Barnabas and Pamphylia and not to go with them to do the work. Acts 13, 13, 15, and 38. Nevertheless, this wealthy scion was entrusted with the extraordinary privilege of writing one of I, I love that right there. I got to stop right there. It just says so much. I mean, like I said, first of all, that's what, what, what we're talking about, the revelation of the Holy Spirit. How many times have, have we read over that word? 
but we never picked up these fine details. See, that's why the Bible said that this is hidden, hidden gems. All of this, all these words, just like Lisa said, subculture, counterculture. Those words make it there. All these words, all these gems, just give so much more understanding to the story. I mean, it's perfect thing. A maidservant, gate, entranceway. It's like, wow, never would have caught that. And then when we breaking down Mark's demeanor, you know why? Because, again, once people are in comfortable situations to deal with something that's uncomfortable, no, nah, I ain't got to do that. Oh, Jesus. Mark, whenever I see you, I'm hitting you with a two-by-four. I just want you to know that. Church was not conceived in the physiological sense of the word inside a religious building such as the temple or synagogue. Rather, it was started in the upper room of a private home. The upper room, the place where the disciples gathered during the gestation period of the church, was the spiritual equivalent of the human womb. Ooh, oh, I got to read that one again. Mm. Oh, Jesus. The church was not conceived in the physiological sense of the word inside a religious building such as the temple or a synagogue. It started in the upper room of a private home. The upper room, the place where the disciples gathered during the gestation, the gestation period of the church, was the spiritual equivalent of the human womb. What was the upper room like? Usually pictured as no larger than a shack. Pictured as a tiny place about the size of a small but of a small hut. But when we stop to think about it, we can see that it must have been a very large place because 120 men and women was oh come on now. Come on now, break this thing down. Because 120 men and women were staying there. Acts 1, 13-15. Staying means that they took their meals and slept in it, and it was just one room. That the upper room was possibly the largest chamber in a villa owned by one of the wealthiest men in Jerusalem. The choice of a secular venue for the gestation of the church must not be overlooked. Wow. Mm, mm, mm. How does God take aerials and people and do something so spectacular? Father God, give me that which you want to say right now. We, He said, don't despise small beginnings begin because of what we see and how we view it. But what he's really doing is so much more. He, because we don't, our cultures and things are different, we don't really view it in that way. But now that he's really breaking this thing down, got to begin to change our understanding. He's already broke down that Jesus was born in Motel 6 in the garage where the mechanics kept all the materials and stuff at. And people came to visit him there in the garage because the, the room was filled up. 
Ah, he's talking about this upper room that everybody sees just one room, but now this upper room had 120 people sleeping in there where the church was birthed at. Had to be more because I think it was 120 that got filled with the spirit. That means the others had already left. Those that got that came into one accord. Come on now, let's break this thing down. So basically, it was an auditorium hall, like where we go to have concerts and things of that nature. And maybe not as big with seating thousands, but it had to be big enough to comfortably have 120 over 120 people there. I'm saying all of that to say. Keep in mind what you're doing right now. These things, are the, even this prayer call, these things that God has us doing. One thing that I will constantly say is we are not doing something average. It gets on my nerves, to be very honest with you. It's aggravating and frustrating because it pulls. But now, to be very, very honest, because Lisa asked me something today, what is what is about how did the call go? I said it went such and such and such. Because you, you always, you, know, you don't sound enthused. I said, well, to be very honest with you, my enthusiasm comes from when I see what I'm now seeing come out of the prayer call. Again, every time Andre opened his mouth, I like, Lord Jesus, look at that. Lisa going out starting, starting stuff. She ain't got a dollar, ain't got this, but she's still willing to stand and to stand there for and trust God. Now, see, I got to break this down even though this is a woman who's going out there standing and trust God. To be very honest, she ain't totally healed from her relationship with him. This is what I'm seeing coming from our upper room. So none of us perfect. All of us in one aspect or another is one of these secular people that God, oh, shut up, God, that God used to start his his church with. Ain't none of us perfect. All of us got issues. I can raise my hand and both my feet. I honestly look at God and say, really? How to get you to get an understanding of what God, as we view as small, ain't as small. Because what we do on this line ain't average. Not average. It ain't average. If you keep sowing the word of God in you to the extent that it's, that we're sowing it, it's gonna bring about some results. The upper room, the place where the disciples gathered during the gestation period of the church, was the spirit equivalent of the human womb. What was the upper room like? We usually picture it as no larger than a shack. In musicals and Easter programs, it is depicted as a tiny place about the size of a small hut. But when we stop to think about it, we can see that it must have been a very large place because 120 men and women were staying there, Acts 1, 13, and 15. Staying means that they took their meals and slept in it, and it was just one room. That means it also had to have accommodations for kitchens and bathrooms and all that other stuff. Even back in those days, they they had that kind of accommodations. Upper room was possibly the largest chamber in the villa owned by one of the wealthiest men in Jerusalem. The choice of a secular venue for the gestation of the church must not be overlooked. Later, when 3,000 converts joined the church, the apostles did not busy themselves with erecting a religious building it did it every day, several times a day, Acts 2.42. Although they continued to go to the temple for prayer, Acts 2 and 46 and 3 and 1, 
The bulk of their activities took places in homes where they shared their possessions with those in need and took their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart while praising the Lord, Acts 2, 44-47. The fact that the Christians in the early church complemented their participation in temple center rituals with spontaneous religious activities in homes and on the streets shows how comfortable they were in non-traditional religious settings. Mm. Could you turn on the fan, whatever you're burning? The fact that Christians in the early church complemented their participation in temple-centered rituals with spontaneous religious activities in homes and on the streets, Acts 2, Acts 5, 12-15, shows how comfortable they were in non-traditional religious settings. In addition to the apostles, the human backbone of the early church consisted of marketplace leaders such as Lydia, a wealthy wholesaler of expensive fabrics who had homes in Philippa and Thyresia. Mm. She was a crisis first European convert. Another of the first believers was Dorcas, a designer and manufacturer of inner, of inner garments. She apparently made a good living because she was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did, Acts 9 and 36. The words abounding and continually imply a high level of giving for which corresponding wealth was required. Prominent enough for her death to be brought to the attention of Peter and her subsequent resurrection to be noticed by an entire town, which led many of his citizens to believe in the Lord. Mm. Acts 9:36 through 42. Wow. That means. But just read. Okay, let me just say, I, I just read over these names. Oh, well, first of all, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm Priscilla and Aquila, I know, and Dorcas, I'm like, who is that? But we just read over these names. But now God is giving life and a story associated with these. Taking that in mind, and see again, what am I, what, what am I harping on all this? Because I want you to see this, but then I want you to see you. Never really has no life to you. It's nothing but a good story. Because I can guarantee that you are somewhere in these stories in this Bible, where you will find you in some form of fashion. And you can say, I can relate because I can see. See, that's why God took people from everyday situations and circumstances, because He can re- each of us are somewhere and we can relate to one of them 12 disciples. All of them had issues. But can relate because we can identify with the characteristics of one of them. And then he even took Paul. Paul at that time who was a religious leader, and converted him to Paul. So the purpose, again, not to get on this line and hear some words, and oh, yeah, yeah, but no, I need you to identify yourself. Why do I want you to identify yourself? So that you can turn your life around. I want you to begin to see through the word of God and identify with somebody in these scriptures so you can say, Lord, if you did it for them, you can do it for me. Because, see, we think about these people in the Bible, and we think about how, how, much they, how good they must have been. And we put them on such a high level. Well, you know what? Peter denied Christ and cussed, cussed everybody out. Ain't no better than me or you. 
what they did, and that's the one thing that I would test to, what they did and what we are doing is they're doing the work. They did the work. They got in the gospel. They read. They applied. See, that's the difference maker. When you're diligent on a consistent basis, sowing that word inside of your life continuously, see, eating it, reading it, and applying it. See, that's the difference maker. That's the taste that's going to take you from where you are to where God has called you to be. But don't just hear these words coming out of my mouth. I need you to get Holy Spirit, talk to me. That's what you need to do. You need to let the Holy Spirit reveal to you where you are so you can identify and say, Lord, now, nah, let's go to work. Show me how to get up out of me. Show me how to get up out of my rut. Show me how I can be used to do that what you called me to do, Lord. See, that's where I want you to go when we're reading this book. All the stuff that we're going, I need you to say, come on, i got to find a way to divorce myself from myself so I can marry my God and rise up to be used in his last day so I can be positioned to go forth to do what he's called me to do. Come on now. Shut it up. Shut up. Mm -mm -mm. Thank you, Father God. I just give you the glory for what you're doing in all of our lives. Ooh, Father God. Ooh, shit. And of course, they did it. Let those words begin to marinate inside of your life right now. Let that spirit begin to saturate. See, God is no respecter of persons. I ain't nobody special. Peter, James, John, Paul, nobody special. He's no respecter of persons. As a matter of fact, in his word, he said all those great marvelous work that Jesus did was capable of doing even greater. But are you going to do the work? That's what it boils down to. God is designed to have people rise up high to be examples in these last days, to show them what the word and the power of God can do in your life. You ready to do the work. That's all it is. Simplifying it because it boils down to a yes. That's what it requires. She apparently made a good living because she was abounded with deeds of kindness and charity, which was also and she which she continually did, Acts nine and thirty six. The words abounding and continually imply a high level of giving for which corresponding wealth was required. Dorcas was prominent enough for her deeds to be brought to the attention of Peter. Subsequent resurrection to be noticed by an entire town, which left many of its citizens to be believers in the Lord. Acts 9:36-42. Aquila and Priscilla were also business people. They had this order and shit. Go, Father God, I praise you because you are touching somebody right now. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father God. Hey is the day that you are really, really touching somebody, Lord. I don't even know who it is and don't need to know. I've been hearing these words. Today, a word has been planted and is now beginning to rise up. Today is the day you're beginning to accept and see things in a whole other fashion than you ever have before. Is a day of opportunity and choice. Mm, opportunity and choice in faith. Faith. Whoever you are, just 
as you had to accept Christ by saying, yes, Lord, I believe and I want you as my Savior. You don't have to say nothing on this line. I don't even want you to. Matter of fact, mute your button, but you do need to say this out of your mouth. You don't need to say it in your head, no. Mute your button, say it out of your mouth that today is the day that, Lord, I choose to accept my assignment. Today is the day that I choose to divorce myself from myself so that I can rise up to become that which you called me to be. Today is the day that you will begin to find out who you are in Christ. Walk out to your divine destiny. Just as you were born again in Christ, now you will be born again in your destiny. If you would just say yes to God. I need you to say that out of your mouth, not in your head. I need you to utter those words. Because see, what that the authority to go to work in you and for you in a whole nother manner. If you keep it locked up inside of you, and I'm going to make a decision later, I'm going to think and ponder, you're going to miss your opportunity. Miss your opportunity. You're going to be squandering around in that same little rut you've been running around for the next five years. I'm telling you things. You, you, this is what don't, you don't want to do that. Today, God is coming. He say, hey, do you really want to make a change? Do you really want to become somebody different? You really want to find out who you are so I can raise you up to that. If you will utter these words, yes to God, I do. Today is the day the change will begin to occur in your life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Whew. Mm-mm-mm. Aquila and Priscilla were business people. They had the same profession as Paul, tent makers, Acts 18 and 3. Today, the word tent evokes images of a Boy Scout pup tent. But in the first century, most tents were far more elaborate. It is not entirely far-fetched to equate a tent maker with a modern-day developer of motels, since tents were used for temporary lodging when a person was far away from home. Tent makers also did all kinds of leather work. One of Aquila and Priscilla's largest clients may have been the Roman army, which had garrisons nearby. Mm. Business people were not the only ones to join the early church. Many prominent government officials also became believers. For example, the Ethiopian eunuch was in charge of all the treasures of Candace, Queen Ethiopia, Queen of Ethiopia, Acts 8 and 27. It is most unfortunate that we refer to him by his horrible man-inflicted handicap instead of by his position of influence. He was a finance minister of a prominent kingdom. This shows our discomfort with the marketplace in general and with prominent people in particular. It is likely that when he arrived in Ethiopia, it was not his degrading physical scars, but his government position that enabled him to present the gospel to others, most of the people of influence. There were other prominent people in the early church, too. Erastus, the city treasurer, Romans 16 and 23, was a member, and Luke addresses Acts to Theophilus, who was most likely a high-ranking government official. And so now... When he's talking about the eunuch, remember we talked about who I think was Andrew and how Andrew was just translated from where he was at in the process of starting the church. All of a sudden he was translated and ran across the Ethiopian eunuch. Because we talked about, in our understanding, you started this church 
now you need to go ahead and grow it up. But God said, no, I'm going to leave this over here to them. I got something else that I need a specific assignment for you to do. We can't outthink God. That's why, again, why we have to divorce ourselves. Because we be too busy trying to be, no, no, no. Trust, obey, and say yes. Trust, obey, and say yes. Thank God, God. Hello? Good morning. The other thing is that you can't judge a person by what you think their issue is, depending upon what God has told them to do. Come on now. You can't judge them on what you see and or have perceived to depend upon how big or how how important the assignment is on their life. Because he was, it was a self-inflicted issue that he has done to himself as a eunuch. But that didn't mean that he didn't have a responsibility that was far greater than what his choice was from his life decisions. Mm. Just because he was a crackhead. Oh, no, you, no, you, bring, you, you modernizing now. I'm going on mute because you're about to take us there. I got to. Just because you got it. Okay. My best example is this. I remember watching One Minute Bynum on um, on TV on TVN one night. She talked about this woman, and they look 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 like each other, but they were two different women. Well, Nita Bynum was more commercialized, but this other woman was just raw, and it was her sister, was a crackhead, smoked more crack than crack could be smoked. I'll bring it even closer to home. Bishop George Bloomer would shoot up heroin or shoot up something between his toes, and was one of the most prolific preachers that we had, that we have because he's still with us. But he said he couldn't preach without being high. But preaches that preaches heaven down because he know the words. Jamal Bryant. They talk about how he's a whoremonger. He talks about it. Can preach heaven down. But my human frailty does not negate the fact of what God has called me. My human situation and circumstances does not stop me from doing what he said. And it's no longer the excuse as to me saying, oh, I'm human, that's why I do these things. Well, you and your human tail need to do what he says. As simple as that. Because why? When you get to see him, he's not going to account the fact that you're human. It has experienced or had an issue to why you couldn't get the job done. He will definitely tell you, worker of iniquity, depart from me. Because why? 
whatever it is that you have gone through and experienced in your life does not negate the fact that the glory of God is on your life. It doesn't negate the fact that God has chosen you for this specific task. If it wasn't for you to do this task, he wouldn't have tapped you on your shoulder, picked you, and put you at the front of the line. Yeah. You may be fat. You may be skinny. You may be slow. You may be fast. You may not think that you are a round peg that's going into a square hole. But yet and still, God says, Pikachu, I still choose you. Why? Because you were created for this. You were made for such a time as this. Now, what you have to do is make sure that you manifest to produce that in which he has called you to do. Period. These books that we've been reading have shown us one thing. There is no excuse why you can't do what he has called you to do. These books have been equipping you to put tools in your tool belt, and despite what it is that you face, you should be able to use a tool to get to the other side of this wall because the wall is not your obstacle. You are. The wall is not your issue. It's you are. Whether you have to go under the wall, over the wall, around the wall, through the wall, that's your option. But you no longer have an opportunity to just sit there and look at the wall and say, wall, you're going to be my obstacle. So I'm just going to sit here and look at you, and you're going to look at me, and you're going to hold me for my destiny. The devil is a lie, and so are us, are we, because no longer are the obstacles that are in our life an excuse for us not to manifest. Because the Bible says the world is waiting, moaning, groaning for the manifestations of the true sons to appear. When are you going to show up? When are you going to manifest? Crack, whoremongering, sex, alcohol, homosexuality, fornication is no longer an excuse for you not to do what God says. It's no longer a reason as to you not getting things accomplished. We see day-to-day basis for people who have done drugs, alcohol abuse, said that they would be nothing, walking across the stage with their bachelors and masters and doctorates. And their story is that's what once who I was. But I still didn't have an excuse to stay there. I had reasons as to why I had to do something different. And they did. Now, what's your reason and your excuse so we could debunk it and tell you to manifest and show up?
Still there? Oh, I'm here. Oh, okay. I'm done, though. Okay. <laughs> All righty. <sighs> but that's what that's what that book is saying, Sam. We don't have no excuses. That's what these books have been saying. We ain't got no excuses for us not to climb the mountain. You've been in this career for all these years. You get to the mountain? Because I... Why? Mm. You're a crackhead, but you still can't believe the God can do it. You got a prolific word in your mouth, but you'd rather just do nothing. You know that you can save the masses, but you still want, don't want don't want to say a word. It's unfair. But at the east, when that blood is on your hands, you're gonna say that's unfair. Uh oh, Sam. <laughs> that was an ouch right there. So I'm done. <laughs> wow. See what had happened was All right. Okay. Nowadays, we say that people such as the eunuch, Aquila, and Priscilla, who do church work while supporting themselves through secular jobs, are in part-time ministry. On the other hand, we consider pastors, evangelists, and missionaries who do not have secular employment to be full-time ministry. As a result of this arbitrary classification, leaving the marketplace has become a rite of passage for the transition in a full-time ministry. This was not the norm in the early church. First-century Christians did not see working in the marketplace and serving in the church as mutually exclusive activities. Paul, a full-time apostle, wrote to the Thessalonians that neither he nor his team members are anyone's bread without paying for it. I mean, ate anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship. They kept working night and day so that they so that they might not be a burden to anyone. Mm. I'm gonna just read that again and let it fall where it may. And we just keep moving. I understand what's that say again? We as leaders don't have to get nothing for free because we should be able to come to the table with something. Because everybody that have us to come 
might not have no money to get us to do nothing. So you asking for all these strange honorariums and all that stuff because you need to have a red cup versus a Dixie cup, and that's all they can pay for? Oh. And they're going to give you all these extremely, um, extreme different, I only eat this, I only drink that, and I drink this water, and it got to be room temperature. It can't be cold because I need this type of tea to put it in my throat after I preach because I need to be good for the – you can't make sure that you are ready for the next place if you haven't finished this place right here. I'm just saying. But since you just said it, I'm going to just read it again. <laughs> well, he's saying right there you can't tax the people. Hmm. Hmm. Have them to expect to take care of you? That's why he said, the book is going to tell you that God had a team that had everything pertaining to life and godliness for him and his ministry. He didn't need anybody to do anything. The reason as to why even the um, widows and the women helped him was because the, because of the fact that they had a responsibility because they didn't have a husband. Their husband was the church. They didn't have anybody to, to basically pour into. So they did that so he could keep them in into the fold. But he had a doctor if anybody was sick among them. Mama, bug off. You hear me on the phone? I don't hear them barking, Mom. I ain't worried about them ugly dogs. Excuse me, just rude. Yeah, as Mom. Right. But you, we, we all have to understand that it's our responsibility to foot the bill. It's just that simple. It's not the church's responsibility to pay for the pastor who no longer works, but still get SSI tells you to leave the first line blank and he'll fill it out. No. (laughs) Or we change our account and we need this $20 line, this $50 line, this $100 line, and then call out what everybody's put in the basket. No. You know what? I don't know what I just came in on, but what you just said right there? Get out of my bed. I promise you, I have seen it all. I have seen it where wow. if, if, if I prof- if you give me $100, I prophesy real good to you. If you give me 20 I just tell you what your name is. Yep. I had I, I, a friend of mine, you know what I think about it, my cousin, I went to a church in Florida, and the pastor demanded income tax, like W-2, um, the people, so, they could, so he could see how much money they really made, so he could determine if they were really paying 10%. You say what? I'm sorry. No, I said my cousin went to a, a church in Florida where the pastor demanded that the um that the the uh people turn in their W two so that he could see if they really were paying 
10% of their income. So he he was asking them to turn in their tax papers. I mean, the the and then you got the dumb dumbs that are actually going to do it. Well, um, you have people who, um, well, I mean, I understand, I understand this, and I understand why the technology is there, but you also have people who pay their tithes with credit cards or, or with the ATM machine because pastors, I mean, I understand the convenience factor, which some churches have a convenience factor of having an ATM machine in the church, which I understood that to be the convenience, but they also have um, they also have the fact that um, that was the excuse so you don't have to basically say I don't have no money. You can swipe, swipe your card to put it, put the receipt in the envelope and drop it at the altar, or you could um, go to the ATM machine. And then on top of that, I'm, I'm paying my tithes, and then the ATM machine, you get my three dollar fee. Oh Lord, have mercy, Jesus! You think I'm kidding? Yes. No, I don't. Not at all. World Changers has ATM machines. They even have their own, I believe they have their own banking system there as well. So it gets, it gets rough sometimes. Nowadays, we say that people such as the eunuch, Aquila, and Priscilla, who do church work while supporting themselves through secular jobs, are in part-time ministry. On the other hand, we consider pastors, evangelists, and missionaries who do not have secular employment to be in full-time ministry. As a result of this arbitrary classification, arbitrary classification, leaving the marketplace has become a rite of passage for the transition into full-time ministry. This was not the norm in the early church. First century Christians did not see working in the marketplace and serving in the church as mutually exclusive activities. Paul, a full-time apostle, wrote to the Thessalonians that neither he nor his team members ate anything without anyone's paying for it, but with labor and hardship. Excuse me, Pastor. I have a question before you get too far. Uh huh. What is a what's the unit? Somebody who's been castrated. He ain't got no PP. Oh, wish I hadn't asked that question. Thank you, sir. <laughs> 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 Carlos. 
But, but I mean, but one thing Sam did not say is that it was self-inflicted. Now, whether it's self-inflicted or whether that they did it to him, that's why I wasn't clear from the scriptures. Been self, some of them are self-inflicted, and some of them have it, had it done to him. I believe he was he was self-inflicted for him for the cross. Because I know I I'm, I know you know, but back in the day. Being in those positions, they didn't want them around, you know, the queens and all that other stuff, so they would castrate them. That's one of the rights of them. But, I, I, but I, anyway, he was a eunuch. I don't know if self-inflicted or not, but he was a eunuch. He had no PP. Maybe I, I'll have to look that up, but I mean, I know some of them were, some of them had issues of, they, it was self-inflicted. Some of them were. I do not know that. Okay. Okay. Well, I do. I see my right now. <laughs> I'm sure the look on my face is like something stank right now. I don't know about it. Somebody else did it. Well, I just wasn't prepared for that answer. Oh, okay. No problem. I, I didn't know. I thought I I thought it was like a, some type of religious denomination or something. Like oh, a Mormon or a Catholic. Right. <laughs> I was so wrong. But you say, bah, bah. Uh-huh. Oh, Lord. Okay. As a result of this arbitrary classification, leaving the marketplace has become a rite of passage for the transition into full-time ministry. This is not the norm in the early church. First century Christians did not see working in the marketplace and serving in the church as mutually exclusive activities. Paul, a full-time apostle, wrote to the Thessalonians that neither he nor his team members ate anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship. They kept working night and day so that they might not be a burden to anyone. First, I'm 2 Thessalonians 3 and 8. This is a clear reference to the fact that Paul and his ministry team did secular work while they ministered the word. This was not an isolated incident, since Paul did the same thing while in Corinth, as well as in Ephesus, Acts 18, 1-3. Today, we favor the notion that once the apostles left their secular jobs, they never returned to them. However, Peter went back to fishing at least twice after he had been called by Jesus, the first time to get money for taxes, Matthew 17, 24-27, and the second time right after the resurrection, John 21 and 3. If a return to the marketplace was tantamount to backsliding and betraying his call to the ministry as it is often taught, why would Jesus encourage such behavior by enabling Peter and his partners to catch so many fish? Luke was another prominent marketplace person. He is described as Paul by the beloved physician, Colossians 4 and 14, an indication that he continued to practice medicine after he joined Paul's team. Mm. And I never associated Luke and Paul being together. Interesting. Hmm. Community and marketplace people led the newly established churches, and they were extraordinarily effective as elders, considering that most of them were appointed after a brief time of training and usually in context of severe persecution. Hmm. I think I'll read that. Community and marketplace led community and marketplace people led the newly established churches, and they were extraordinarily effective as elders, considering that most of them were appointed 
after a brief time of training and usually in context of severe persecution. So if I'm understanding this, that the church movement that was growing was established by ordinary people, meaning not quote-unquote religious people, but they came from their jobs, which they probably had to sell at because they had to have the the, the skill set. Now, when I'm talking about skill set, I'm not talking about in a particular profession, but with that skill set and being excellent at anything, you have learned perseverance, diligence, training, those type of things which are embedded into you. And they transition that from the secular to the spiritual. A guy called them qualified. So, again, and that's what we talked about yesterday. And I forget what, what it came out. But bottom line, after you've been qualified from doing what you've been doing for years, now he's going to transition you because he calls you ready. Then he will equip you. So then there's a, oh, you know what? Wow. He will transition because you have the basics. You have the foundation. Now you're taking those principles that we have and instead of applying them to the secular dominion, you're now applying them to the spiritual kingdom. But they were all skilled, um, skilled practitioners of their craft, and you had to have had that. And the book is going to explain it to you that they have all been in this their craft for at least 20 or more years. And that's what he said about Jesus yesterday, being a carpenter. Mm-hmm. They have. They've all had their been in their trade for a long time before they got to be chosen and picked as what chooses picked as one person or the other. Mm-hmm. Because we already know that as a doctor, he had to have a decent level of qualification. He had to know what it is that he was could do and should do, and then he basically still practiced. So he was still learning. And then when the book brought out that word, I've, I've, uh, beloved physician, that means people will like them. That means if they like it, that means you, you're used. You know what I'm saying? You got a good name. You got a good reputation. You got a good clientele. Beloved, that means a lot of people admire you and or, or like your services. That means they're calling on you. Mm. Sounds like you, Sam. <clears throat> Community and marketplace people led the newly established churches, and they were extraordinarily effective as elders, considering that most of them were appointed after a brief time of training and using in context of severe persecution. Is it a wonder that Paul managed to be so effective in the selection of elders for the emerging congregations? The answer lies in the fact that after these folks who are already leaders in the city came to Christ, usually through a power encounter. Oh. Mm. Mm. Oh, Jesus. Mm. Wow. Mm. A power encounter. Mm, Jesus. Mm. I'm going to ask you all, for those who can answer, what to you does a power encounter mean? And why? Just, the, just from what I read, 
Just talk about what that means to you, a power encounter. Wow. Mm, my oh, I'm gonna shut up. I'm not gonna say nothing until y'all say what y'all want to say. Mm, I, I, I was about to say something for you, Mark, but I'm I'm gonna be quiet. Well, a clearly, where a power encounter is clearly okay. A power encounter is clearly a situation where something. Um, intersects me and my level of humanity that I cannot experience without it. I am getting something that is has much more strength than I do, mm. and my capability of such is to to receive it and not to basically give it off. Now, with the power encounter, with us having the Holy Ghost, that is the best explanation of a power encounter because that's when he says I can endue you a power, endue his power. And we know that dunamis means that it covers everything and it encompasses all the power that basically heaven possesses that he's giving here on earth for us to experience. When we lay hands on the sick and pray for them to recover, when we when we prophesy, it's not of our own being; it's of the Spirit of God that basically allows us to do these things. Okay, Mark, <clears throat> I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this one word that I know is going to trigger you. Up for the scream and holler, Mark. Find what you say to be very interesting. You say what? I find what you say to be very interesting. I will encounter right there. You say interesting? That's your right, right. You there now? You know what I'm talking about? They don't know, but that's your power encounter right there. Hey, (laughs) the power encounter right there. Glory. Yeah, no, no, my One minute, let, let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Glory. <laughs> see, 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 all his workplace situation and, and his ways that they don't believe in God. But because of him, in spite of everything, calling upon his God, now, they believe in money, <laughs> they believe in power. They believe in wealth, but now they are in a situation where money or wealth is not able to resolve their issues. Oh, it's not change the situation, and they're frustrated, and they're out of themselves. So now here comes little Mar, talking about, I believe in my Jesus, and I'm going, y'all getting on my nerves, so I'm going to call to my Jesus. I can't do this, so I'm going to call to my Jesus. Oh, y'all really get on you. Oh, you got this problem. Well, Jesus, I need this man to live, and he's going to be in the good. All he's doing for his own survival, to be honest with you, keep himself together, is he's calling on Jesus. But he ain't so much doing it as I'm going to pray in front of you. No, he's doing to keep himself satisfied, and he's also doing what God's called him to do. So now what's going on? Their belief system 
system is being challenged. Their belief system and money, power, and wealth is being challenged. Here he comes, this person they wouldn't even believe, but because they see a difference, and he's talking, and he's walking, and what he's applying, and they're seeing things happen that did not happen until he came on board. So now things that they couldn't handle, things that were going to, and Maria's the best way I say it, going to shit, is now beginning to come together. He's bringing order out of chaos, and all he's doing all along the way is he's claiming his God, talking about his God. He ain't actively trying to say, ah, you're wrong. No, he's living it out. So now their belief system is being challenged by the Holy Spirit that he's walking in. See, this is a power encounter to the point that now this woman who did not believe in God, this woman said, you're crazy. It ain't going to happen. But you know what? I find your faith interesting. That's a power encounter. That's a see because see people in the world, successful people in the world. Now I need to bring that in because we're talking about these are leaders in society. These are people who have accomplished things. These are people who have now achieved some level of success. They are steeped in their belief systems. And what do we say? Counterculture, not subculture. They're steeped in their well. This works. I'm intelligent. This works. I'm an athlete. This works. I'm a warrior, and this is what I believed in. So now you're going to talk to me about some Jesus. What can he do for me? See, that's why this little gospel in them four walls don't work for those kind of people. What you going to tell Michael Jordan about a Jesus for? I got six championships. <laughs> what you going to tell Donald Trump for? All he do is talk about riches. But when life shows up, hush it. see, this is the importance of intercession now. See, we're really getting a lesson up out of this one. When life shows up, see, you need to be interceding on their behalf, because, see, if not, it's not going to remove the scales from the eyes and the hardness from the heart so they can receive that which God wants them to have. Because, see, life is life. It's going to show up on everybody's doorstep, and you're going to have something that you're not going to be able to overcome. There's going to be something that's in front of you, the in and of yourself and your belief system, which is not founded on the word of God, is going to fail. It's just the way that God ordained and structured this thing. He's the one that created it. So he understands what it takes to make this life work. So when your belief systems come and collide and begin to fall apart, you need a meek, humble person who is now in their presence. But see, you know what else is about prominent people? They're not going to deal with jack legs. <laughs> they need somebody who's skilled <laughs> in, their, in whatever profession they're doing. They're not going to just go get a doctor off of here. They need somebody who's skilled with, with cancer. They need somebody who's skilled with, with teaching, who's skilled with these different things. They even, even I need a skilled craftsman because I don't want no jack legs. But now when you walk in that anointing and that power of God, and you are obedient. Your walk will witness to them. Come on now. Your walk will witness to them. You know why? Because that anointing that's on your life will just flow and it will change the environment. It'll change the environment. My worker told something to me, the one that gets on my nerves, he really, really does, people. But I just hold my mouth. But you know what he told me? He said, you know what, man? Because he talks a lot, just in case y'all didn't know. You know what, man? I'm going to be honest with you. I, when I first started working with you, man, I wasn't even thinking about getting off drugs. I was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was fine. I ain't never said nothing to him about that at all. But, man, just, 
just being around you, man, I, I just began to change. I just looked at him. Oh, okay. I ain't never witnessed to him about getting out drug. ain't but see, because of the anointing that's on my life, and he's seeing me applying. He said, like Lisa told me something that just is so funny, but it's so true. She said, when I first knew you years ago, you used to do this because you, cause that's what you did. Now you did it out of survival. I'm praying out of survival. I'm trying to, I'm trying to breathe. I'm trying to breathe. But that's building up an anointing in me. Last night when you all were on the call, I said, as, as we all got in there, I said they need to exercise their faith. So you all need to know what it is to exercise and to pray and to get down in it. That's why I had y'all praying for each other so you can build up your spiritual power so that you can build that anointing up in your life. So now you got the power to go in there and transform your environment. You're not concerned about what's around you because your around you is what's concerned about you. They say, oh my God, here he's coming, here she's coming, and I can't do nothing about it because it's a true power of God. See, that's a power encounter. That's what you need to have working in your life. But you get that by diligence, perseverance, humility, and obedience. And I guess I kind of answered that question for everybody. So maybe I just keep reading. How about that? <laughs> ah. <laughs> See, you play too much. Wow. <sighs> Community and marketplace people led the newly established churches, and they were extraordinarily effective as elders, considering that most of them were appointed after a brief time of training and used in the context of severe persecution. Is it a wonder that Paul managed to be so effective in the selection of elders for the emerging congregations? The answer lies in the fact that after these folks, who were already leaders in the city, came to Christ, Usually through a power encounter, they took positions of leadership in the church. By power encounter, I meant that they experienced the power of God when they were set free from spiritual bondage, usually in a dramatic way, as in the case of Philippi, Acts 16, 25-34. This, in turn, resulted in church, leading, in church leaders who knew God experientially rather than just intellectually. Mm and who are passionate about those newfound faiths, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Consequently, they did more than simply sit on the board. They ministered to the flock and to the lost on a daily basis, Acts 20 and 31. The most controversial theological truth of the first century that Gentiles can be saved without having to become Jews first was initially presented to three marketplace leaders. Peter, food industry, was a guest at the home of Simon, the tanner, leather goods, were Cornelius, a senior military officer, sent for him. This was a new and radical teaching for which the emerging church had no paradigm. Nevertheless, God did not hesitate to entrust it to laymen. The fact that they had not been trained in theology as formal rabbinical schools, or rabbinical, rabbinical, whatever, as the Pharisees had been trained, was an advantage given the unprecedented nature of the new revelation. See, one thing for that says you're not tainted. You're not, you're not, you're, you're, you know, you're not, you're not messed up because of views imposed on from somebody else. Whatever you get a straight revelation from God. And not only that, whatever you get a straight revelation from God, you are in tune enough with the Holy Spirit that you know the voice of God. 
Because, see, that's why I talk about, like, being out in the wilderness when you're a trailblazer. You ain't walking on trails. You dropped in the wilderness, and you might have a machete. You got to form your own trail. So in that scenario, you got to truly know God's voice, and you got to trust God's voice because you're going to have to walk out there on what God told you to do. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, Jesus, you know what? I'm going to just keep reading. When the time came to establish a missionary center from where the Gospels would be spread to the ends of the earth, God moved the spiritual vortex of the church from Jerusalem to Antioch, a merchant city located on convergence of important trading roads. A common misconception among Christians is to view the seven men chosen in Acts, chapter 6, as the equivalent of modern-day deacons. In many biblical translations, the subtitle for this chapter is Election of Deacons. However, the word deacon is not used in this passage as a noun to describe the role. Instead, it is used as a verb to depict their function. The seven, the seven were never called deacons in the modern sense of the word. The task entrusted to them was far more elaborate than what we typically expect of deacons today. They were tapped to fix a deficiency in the system that fed thousands of people each day. Wow. They were tapped to fix a deficiency in the system that fed thousands of people each day. The early church was having a food distribution problem that resulted in the neglect of some widows. Because these widows were part of an ethnic group that had previously been despised, tensions rose to the point of menacing the unity of the brethren. Worse yet, this happened while the disciples were increasing in number, Acts 6 and 1, undoubtedly threatening such growth. This was a problem that required immediate attention. The 12 apostles indicated that it was not desirable for them to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, Acts 6 and 2. Because of this reference to serving tables, many people assumed that the seven men of good reputation noted in Acts 6 and 3 were chosen to do that. However, the criterion used to select that was sometimes called the seven points to something more elaborate, since it is called for men of good reputation, of character, and full of the spirit, spirituality, and of wisdom, capacity for the job at hand, to be put in charge of the task, managers. I'm going to read all that again. The 12 apostles indicated that it was not desirable for them to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, Acts 6 and 2. Because of this reference to the serving tables, many people assumed that the seven men of good reputation noted in Acts 6 and 3 were chosen to do that. However, the criterion used to select what's sometimes called the seven points to something more elaborate. Since it's called for men of good reputation, character, and full of the spirit, spirituality, and of wisdom, capacity for the job at hand, to be put in charge of this task, managers. Most likely, the seven were selected to fix the existing food distribution problem because of their proven ability in business. There is no record that any of them served the tables. In fact, two of them exited the picture shortly afterwards. Stephen went to heaven, and Philip left on an extensive evangelistic tour that transformed several cities, Acts 7, 60, 85-40. The main point is that a problem important enough to be highlighted in the scriptures was solved with great efficiency 
because recognized leaders in the congregation were selected to partner with the apostles. Furthermore, after the seven were appointed, the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, 6 and 7 are Acts. It appears that the managerial expertise, once recognized and anointed by the apostles, solved a problem that was fast becoming a threat to the growth of the church. Mm. That's deep. Mm. Now that just transforms our whole thinking of deacons as far as the scriptures are concerned and how this, how this even evolved, how it even became, how it even was birthed. Wow. <laughs> By the time the disciples had been in Jerusalem for more than 10 years and there had been no significant progress toward reaching the ends of the earth, Except for except for forays into familiar territories such as Judea and Samaria, for the most part, the routine of these early Christians consisted of meeting house to meeting house and in the temple. Most likely, the temple as a building that defined Jerusalem is what prevented from, from them from moving outward, as Jesus specified. God eventually had to use persecution to force the church to move out of Jerusalem. Y'all didn't get that. God eventually had used persecution to force Lisa out of her job. God had to eventually use persecution to make Erica get up out of her head. Whew, shit, go. Oh, are y'all getting it now? God had to use persecution to make me focus on him and not on all everything else that I wanted. Come on. Are y'all beginning to get what he's saying right now? Where growth comes from, out of the trials and tribulations, those things that we hate to deal with, but you recognize you can't stay where you at. So you're forced to be either forced to die or forced to live. God eventually had to use persecution to force the church to move out of Jerusalem. This, in turn, refocused their attention on the marketplace because they fled along tra trading routes that eventually led them to merchant centers such as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, Acts 11, 19-20. These were not isolated cases because the cities noted in Revelation were also commercial centers, Revelations 2 and 3. It was not until the disciples were forced to leave Jerusalem that the church began to make significant progress in his journeys toward the ends of the earth. From Paul's early missionary trips, we learned that upon arriving in the city, he first went to the local synagogue. If there was one, Acts 13 and 15. However, the record of synagogues becoming churches is managed. However, the record of synagogues be becoming churches is, is meager. In many cases, Paul and his band of new believers were forced to exit the synagogue, and in many cases, the city under, du under duress. This happened so many times that eventually Paul was led to focus on the Gentiles instead, Acts 18 and 6. This happened in Corinth right after Paul had entered into a business partnership with Aquila and Priscilla, 18 and 1 through 3. He immediately moved his base operations to a private house where he was able to teach daily rather than just on the Sabbath. And many people believed and were baptized. In the midst of the spiritual harvest, God spoke to Paul in a vision alerting him that there were many believers in the city. 
It is interesting to note that God uses vision to point to Paul the city right after he had exited the synagogue. As a result, Paul settled in Corinth for a year and a half, Acts 18 and 11. So now the way that I'm used to doing things or the way that I've been trained to doing things as far as Paul is concerned, going in the synagogue, is not really working for me. So now i got to tap into God to find a new way. So the assignment is still the assignment, but the way that if I was performing the assignment is different. I mean, Lisa just basically said that about high school. The assignment is still the assignment, but now I'm just transitioning from my house to someplace else, and they're going to pay me for it. And I'm so thankful, Lord Jesus, you just don't know because I can pay for my family. So your assignment doesn't change, but the strategy to get it done might. I'm going to say it will. You know why I say it will? Because it's called growth. So getting your mind and understanding of what it is that you need to do then going to God to see how to perform it. See, this is another reason why you need to stay tapped into the Holy Spirit. Because when things begin to transition from one level to the next, you need to be able to flow with God as he equips not just you, but those who he is sending to assist you. I'll just keep reading. This sequence of events is worth noticing since it shows Paul having shifted from the synagogue to the marketplace. First, Paul entered the marketplace. Next, he moved out of the synagogue to a nearby house. Then God alerted him to the fact there were many believers in the city rather than the synagogue. This sequence was repeated in Ephesians where he moved next, taking Aquila and Priscilla with him, Acts 18 and 18. The transition to the marketplace was accompanied in both cases by extraordinary results. Specifically, many conversions in the midst of dramatic power encounters. Much of the economy of Ephesus was based upon demonic activities centered on the worship of goddesses, specifically Artemis, the fertility goddess, who was also referred to as Diana. This allowed Satan's bunker to be firmly entrenched in the marketplace. In this environment, Paul and his partners, Aquila and Priscilla, entered the marketplace. They did it by setting up tent-making operations. Acts twenty thirty three. Well, wait, 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 wait a minute. Ooh, wait a minute. Paul and Aquila and Priscilla and in the marketplace. So wait a minute. We're gonna do this, but we're gonna do it two ways. We're gonna go there because we know God's going there, but we're also gonna do this in a profitable business venture. Well, come on now. Come on now, Felicia. I hope you're getting this, girl. What God? God don't want you to be wealthy. He wants you to be abounding. I like it when first man that broke it down, Satan's true fall from the kingdom. And he broke this down scripturally from uh, money in a new millennium, how Satan was over the affairs in heaven, commerce. I had to, I had to get the book to find the scriptures. Bottom line, Satan was over the affairs of commerce in heaven, and that's how he began his fall. Business. The church is a business. I'm looking at God orchestrating business. What do I mean by that? First of all, I say all the time that he was, how did he get a perfect plan done through imperfect people? How did he get Jesus' lineage to be in correct spiritual order so that when Jesus was born, his birth wasn't tainted? Think about that. Why do you think uh, God had to... Um, 
had to execute David's um, David's child through um, Bathsheba. But then the child that David and Bathsheba had after they were married was Solomon. So again, God is a strategist, people. So the devil's a schemer, but he can't out-scheme God. What do I mean by that? So again, you're called to business, but that doesn't mean it is separate from what God wants you to do. You can marry the two, but everything has to stem from God. That's the understanding that we need to get so that we can move forward into what he's calling you to do. I just told you online earlier, one of the main reasons he wants you to be a business owner, that will free up your time. See, you need money. Look at Aquila, Priscilla, and Paul. They need money to survive. Why can't they go over here and make some money? See, your job limits you. But now, because you've got the skill set, go over there and make tents, and they do that, spreading the gospel, making money, survive, and everything is flowing along as need be. And what he just talked about, whoever was at houses in other cities where they also went and spread the gospel. Come on now. You see how small I am? Come on, come on, babe. Come on. No, I was just going to say that, you know, if I might interject, you know, sometimes you do. So, like, for me, I have to go back to work. I have to feed my baby. I can't, you know, they can't suffer like this is real. I have to go back to work. But why do I have to go back to work? Because if I don't have the things, so even if I'm in, in business, if I don't have the very bare minimum things I need to survive, then how much am I going to be able to concentrate on what I'm supposed to be doing for God anyway? My attentions are going to be divided, you know, so that's why it is okay to, to take a job to do what you have to do to take care of your family and so you can be a good steward over your family and everything. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to, because you have to have an, a plan. It's all about a plan. So now I have to go back to work. So having the experience that I had, um, with the school, you know, doing the school full time. Now I have an idea of how much money does it take to run it, what are the things that I'm going to need to run it, um, you know, how as far as finances, um, what, are, what are some of the things mentally that it's going to take, all that kind of stuff. So armed with that information, now I can go into a job and say, okay, this is how I need to manage my finances that I receive from my job so that when I'm ready to, to do it again, things are in order and my attention won't have to be split and it can go full out the way it is that it's supposed to go. So I'm just saying <clears throat> that there's nothing wrong with having to take a job, whether it's full-time, part-time, you know, sales stuff, whatever it is you have to do to make sure that your household is in order because your household is your very first ministry. Your household is your person. Uh-oh. And then you and then you have to because if your there's a lot of people who have businesses, their household is they're putting everything on the business, their household is in chaos and horrible. Their household is just fuck. So you tend to your very first ministry go into it with a plan. You know, you have a plan. And then you you know during because you can still have a job and still do that what you were supposed to do. You can still you can still do that. You can still do that. And then you just you know walk that thing out with a plan though, with a plan.
Amen. That's all. <laughs> and I'm just saying because I'm doing it. You you don't think my heart. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You saying it because you read about it in a book? No, because I'm going through this hell right here. Hmm. But what he'll do is he'll put you through it, but then he'll let you live to tell about it. Mm. He'll keep your mind right. He'll keep you in your right mind so that you can tell about it. Because why do we go through things? We never go through things by ourselves. It's always to minister to others. It's always to share with others. It's always to uplift and fortify, edify, build up other people. That's why somebody has to be the sacrificial lamb. I have shared, Sam, I think with you about this big old burn that's on the back of my leg. And I need y'all to catch this real quick. Thanks. Catch this right quick. On the back of my leg right now, and it hurts like heck. There is a, a long burn from an iron on the back of my leg, and it's deep, like deep in my skin. I'll probably have a scar forever, but that's all right. Um, the morning of the conference. Yeah. So the morning of the conference, I got up, getting ready. You know, I'm rushing and everything. And um, I'm trying to, you know, get there. And so I had to iron my dress. I got wrinkled. And so I'm trying to iron my dress. Well, I had turned the iron on, and I put it on the floor next to the bed because I was trying to locate the ironing for my iron cord. Well, I didn't know that my oldest baby, Ricky, had gotten up. I didn't know that she woke up. While I was out of the room, and she had come in there and sat on the floor two centimeters away. When I tell you two centimeters, two centimeters away where that iron was red hot because it had been sitting there for a while. Her back, her bare back was out, and she was getting her stuff together. God it so that I walked in, and I forgot she was there, so I, I stepped back and and I burned my leg, and it was bad. I was screaming and hollering. It still hurts right now. Um, but I I was so glad. It sucked, but I was so glad because if Rissy had moved two centimeters backwards and she had leaned back, dropped something, her entire back right now would have a big iron mark on it. The pain, and it would have scarred her for life. So why am I saying that? I stepped back and burnt myself to take the pain so that she wouldn't get hurt. I absorbed that pain so that my baby would not get hurt. Was it on purpose? Was I conscious of it? No, not at all. But that's the way God works. If I hadn't stepped back and taken that pain first and burnt myself first, she would have gotten it. And it would have been more terrible for her to get hurt, way more terrible for me than me getting hurt to forgive myself for that. And so why am I bringing this up? Because that's why he allows us to go through things sometimes, and it seems like it's uneven. It seems like some people get a little bit more of the foolishness than others or what have you. But sometimes, you know, those those who he feels are strong enough to take it, those who he feels are strong enough to be the sacrificial lamb, he'll allow us to absorb that experience so that other people may not have to or that other people can get a different perspective. He'll he'll allow the strongest of us to go out 
can take those hits, take those bullets for other people. But that's what being a soldier is about. The soldiers go out and go to battle so that other folks get completely comfortable. Right? So that's why I say we have to be. All righty then. Mm-hmm. He'll put you out there on front street. He'll take you to task on that. Because it's more than a notion. Amen. Okay. Much of the economy of Ephesus was based upon demonic activities centered on the worship of goddesses, specifically Artemis, the fertility goddess, was also referred to as Diana. This allows Satan's bunker to be firmly entrenched in the marketplace. In this environment, Paul and his partners, Aquila and Priscilla, entered the marketplace. They did it by setting up tent-making operations, Acts 20, 33-35, and by using a secular venue, a school owned by Tyrannius, Acts 19, 9-10, where they taught daily about the kingdom of God. Two years later, a dramatic power encounter caused everyone in Ephesus and the surrounding area to hear the word of God, Acts 19 and 10. The spiritual atmosphere was so positive that God was performing extraordinary miracles through Paul. This level of supernatural occurrence had not been common until then. Hence the extraordinary qualifier. Hence the extraordinary qualifier. Even the demons acknowledged that they knew who Paul was. Mm. 19 and 15. Multitudes of people renounced their secret practices, and leading practitioners of sorcery burned their magic books. As a result, the word of the Lord grew and prevailed in the city that had once been a major stronghold of Satan, Acts 19 and 20. So first of all, they set up a tent in a a demonic city, and they did it through Tyrannius, who owned the school, and Aquila and Priscilla did a tent-making business. First thing that caught my attention was two years later. So they were doing this daily for two years. That means they were consistent, persistent, being diligent, seeking God, finding out what he wants. When they felt like it and when they didn't. When it was good, when it wasn't. Then after two years, because of the, mm, come on now, what's that? And they tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and so on, and so on, and so on. See, see, it, see they, they had a major power encounter then, two years, but they were having minor power encounters all the way along there. Again, because people's strongholds, see, and that's the difference of when the power of God enters in a situation, but the power of God ain't going to just enter into somebody who's not trained, who's not willing, who's not humble, who's not going, willing and have gone through. What do we talk about the wilderness experience? It wasn't until Jesus had come out of the wilderness, then the power of the Spirit had him. See, we want to be all powerful and all this other until we've gone, before we go through our trials and tribulations. That's not the way that God or- orchestrates this thing. Y'all should have go, doc, I die. Mm. I think I just got my topic for the Atlanta conference. I sure did. Thank you, Father God. That's exactly what I'm going to start off with. Mm. Ooh, Father God. That's it right there. That's it right there. We so much want, and woo, come on now. We view it in our mind how this should be. 
But that's not what it is. And when it don't line up to our view of what we think and how we feel compared to what God brings in front of us, we got a problem. And I'm going to just keep reading. There's no doubt that Ephesus was transformed by a super encounter that occurred in the marketplace. Had Paul's ministry remained confined to the synagogue, he never would have had such an impact on a region as vast as the one he eventually did by establishing roots in the marketplace. What happened in Ephesus was not exceptional, rather it was normative. Come on. See, that's where we need to be at, where the supernatural is an everyday occurrence to you. With things going on in the supernatural realm, now it's commonplace. I remember, again, I, I, when we first started getting into all this stuff and things started happening and moving and this, and you're seeing that now, now I'm like, oh, really? Okay. To the point that some shows up on my job, and, again, I didn't see it with my natural eyes. I saw my spiritual eyes. And when I talked to Mark, I didn't even get the sentence out of my mind. He confirmed what I knew. But... God said, he, he can't do nothing but look. I said, oh, okay. I just kept doing what I was doing. I ain't even had to go to war. He can't do nothing to me. The other day when I was praying, you in the middle of the morning, Lisa, I knew something entered in. I said, no, you ain't. No, you ain't. God stripped. So if y'all want to sit your time and stand your time around and look at me doing whatever, it's up to you. You guess you got your assignment, but you can't come up in here causing no disturbance. When they did something in my daughter's room, that's when I got on the offensive. Those are power encounters, people. But you got to become comfortable being uncomfortable. You've got to come to the point where you're living in the supernatural and it's a normal thing for you. But you ain't going to get that, I got to have it this way, and I need my special water, and I can't have three peas, I got to have five. Okay, well, you're going to live in your own little world by yourself. Oh, actually, you ain't going to be by yourself. You're going to pretty much be with those who are subculture, but not those who are counterculture. What happened in Ephesus was not exceptional. Rather, it was normative. In fact, similar encounters must have happened in other cities as well because later on, Paul and his band were accused of having done the same thing all over Asia, Acts 19 and 26. Jesus' recruitment of marketplace people who were not members of the religious establishment was intentional. The same can be said about how the Holy Spirit led the early church to operate in the marketplace. The Great Commission begins with the city, Jerusalem, and it will be fulfilled when the last city on earth is reached. To accomplish this, the city's most vital component, the marketplace, has to be transformed just as it happened in Ephesus and on other cities mentioned in Acts. Because the marketplace embodies the societal systems that define and give life to metropolis, Jesus recruited people from the marketplace to be the backbone of his redemptive movement. Now, I don't have it in front of me, but the marketplace, society's center of influence, that's where we go back to the seven pillars, the seven kingdoms, where each of those pillars represented that culture of every culture, education, government, finance, entertainment. So now, each of us, there is anointing available if you will say yes and allow God to train so that you can become a leader in that specific, whatever specific area God has designed for you. He needs you to be a leader so that he can get his gospel to where it needs to go. Now, 
how that's going to be done, the strategy, it's going to change. But the assignment won't. I'll just keep reading. Jesus' recruitment of marketplace people who are not members of the religious establishment was intentional. The same can be said about how the Holy Spirit led the early church to operate in the marketplace. The Great Commission begins with the city, Jerusalem, and it will be fulfilled when the last city on earth is reached. To accomplish this, the city's most vital component, the marketplace, has to be transformed just as it happened in Ephesus and the other cities mentioned in Acts. Because the marketplace embodies the societal systems that define and give life to metropolis, Jesus recruited people from the marketplace to be the backbone of his redemptive movement. His objective was to create a new social vehicle, the church, a movement that freely expanded rather than a monument to be gazed at. This movement was meant to be the counterculture rather than a subculture. People in a subculture are satisfied with surviving under the dominant culture, whereas those in the counterculture have as their inattrievable objective to debunk and replace it. How about, let me read that again. People in a subculture are satisfied with surviving under the dominant culture, whereas those in a counterculture have as their irretrievable objective to debunk and replace it. According to the dictionary, a counterculture is a culture with values and mores that run counter to those established in society. This is why New Testament teaching is intentionally focused on curing social ills and repairing broken relationships as a means to transforming society's institutions, marriage, family, work, and government. This is true because Jesus' mission was not only to save individuals, but also to bring groups of people and nations to himself. If he had come only to save people, believers would be transferred to heaven right after their conversion. Come on now. Instead, they are left in the world and entrusted with the commission to disciple the nations. Come on now. I got to read that again. Wow. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, my God. This is why New Testament teaching is intentionally focused on curing social ills and repairing broken relationships as a means to transform society's institutions, marriage, family, work, and government. This is true because Jesus' mission was not only to save individuals, but also to bring people groups and nations to himself, Revelations 21, 24 through 27. If he had come only to save people, believers would be transferred to heaven right after their conversion. Instead, they're left in the world and entrusted with the commission of disciple the nations. Mm. Wow. That, I mean, first I got to back up. Because, see, I'm thinking about the counterculture when he was explaining that. I can give the correct words. People in the subculture are satisfied with surviving under the dominant culture, whereas those in the counterculture have their irretrievable objective to debunk and replace it. So now that made me think about going back to the days of the Black Panthers in the 60s and the, and the Black Fist and all of that. 
that had a time its time and its place. Going back to the movement with Martin Luther King, it had its time and its place. And I'm just talking about America because in other areas we were reading about Evita and, and in Gandhi, those things had their time and its place. But the time and the place for the movement of God right now is not a black, white, green, Indian, Asian thing. It's a people of God movement. The only color that matters is the blood of Jesus. That's the one that God's going to empower. Now, these other ones have their place. But now let's go to spiritual, solical. But they need to be under the direction of the spirit of God. They have the place. They're very important, and I would never knock it. But first and foremost, the spirit of God has to be the one. It has to be centered and from that. But God's concern is to bring people of all nations to him. Not black, white, Irish, Catholic. People of all nations, of all beliefs to him. Because he's the only one that can save now, the strategy will be different for every culture, for every nation. That's, yeah, that, that's going to be different. But the assignment is to lead them to Christ. Now, how he does it again is going to be individual as much as we are. But our overall assignment would be how to be used by God to get everybody to see and to an acceptance so we can get up out of here. Simple, simple assignment. I'm making it simple. More, you know, a little bit more challenging than that. But just have that understanding. Because even when we read what was the, the, the black civilization, you know, I got it, I started reading because I, it caught my attention about black. But by the time he got out, done with that book, he broke down all the nations, broke down all the nations, how everyone has a different different uh, spirituality to them from God, so, because everyone can do different things spiritually from God, and how the blacks, and how he even broke down color, and he broke it down from the, from the three sons, Ham, Japheth, and Canaan, to the ten nations where everybody come from, he broke all that stuff down. From a biblical perspective, I was like, oh, my God. By the time I got finished with that book, I was like, oh, I had a whole different understanding of people of color and our assignment. Because, see, as a whole, as a rule, people of color are more geared to go through challenging trials and tribulations and bear them under a spiritual nature. That's just how we've been bred. Simple case in point. And he's going to need that, 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 that. That, that violent attitude, that bearing all, and be able to withstand and go through some and then some, to be able to conquer, to take these mountains over, especially in these last days. Again, that tiptoe through the tulips, you can have it where you want to, it's fine, but it ain't going to take over that mountain. Hell, if I got demons coming in my house, standing up there looking at me, and that's all they can do, fine, whatever. Construction bleed. There's some in your households, you just ain't been privy to know it or to see it. Huh? There's some riding on some of y'all backs that you just want to disacknowledge ain't there. Oh, no, I don't really start cutting folks there. I, I got it. Okay, whatever. You ain't got to believe me. I dare you to talk to God about it. You won't even, you won't even allow yourself to hear what he's going to tell you. I'm going to just go ahead and finish this last chapter and I'll be done. Hey, good morning, first off. Hey, Lou. 
Yeah, uh, like you just said, that as uh, my grandfather told me a long time ago, he said, some summer time we got used to walking amongst buildings. The only reason why we don't recognize is because we got used to. Say that again. He said, so come a time that we've gotten so used to walking around demons, we don't recognize them. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And what is morals of slipping in society? Yeah, we can see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially when you got people who they're so caught up in the image, but then they don't want to take to see how much substance that image has. it. And what and I just look at them. What a lot of folks don't even understand: all these colorful pictures that they're putting on your bodies are literally inviting gates and allowing things to come inside and run, to be a party. I just look at them like poor people. But like you say, image. I'm expressing myself. Oh, this looks pretty. Really? Okay. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Okay. You know, it's a shame that it says it talks about Will Smith wearing wearing dresses. But see, now they're trying to push a man's line with me and wear skates now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to leave that one alone. Okay, then you got a saloon. Uh, you got me with lace front wheels and uh, detachable beards and mustaches. They can, look, they can make themselves look like whatever they want to look like. <laughs> and when it comes down to the inner core, the brass pack. You can't change that. But you got some things that kind of just make them to a cooker. Now, you might be able to put them to a cooker, but you need to put them in a cooker, so they're going to be a cook. But this is what people have gotten so accustomed to. And I was even looking at, uh, thinking about it yesterday. Now, before this election, um, for the United States came about, the Pope came out to Washington and had seen what was expected of the people. Okay, Boehner, he was crying all while the Pope was here because the Pope was stepping all on his toes. <laughs> to the point he was crying like a baby. Once the Pope got finished with his speech, Bader said, look, y'all can have this. I ain't going to be a part of it no more. Uh-uh. I was raised no better. No. Uh-uh. No. I'm out. I'm up. See you. Okay. So Trump was running. Trump pretty much passed the Pope out. <laughs> but everything that the Pope told him that they wasn't supposed to do, that's what Trump's administration is trying to do. Now, the other day, somebody had took a picture of some clouds, and it, and the clouds was in the shape of, like, a cavalry. And it's like, oh, wow. But, you know, as we see stuff around us, we see stuff, and if we don't take time to meditate and pray about it, it can pass us by. And even down to the story about Lazarus, and the rich man, okay, you can't sit up here and get so comfortable above the dirt. Because see, we're going to um, everlasting for our eternity. 
That's a whole lot longer than a lifetime. With uh, Rich Man, with Aspen, with Ken Lazarus, and you touch my tongue so I could have something to touch my tongue. And they say, that's the most thing about getting too comfortable up here and not doing what you should be doing. Challenge for the prison. Nope. Hold on, switching phones. Okay. Alright. Okay, last paragraph. This is why New Testament teaching is intentionally focused on the curing social ills and repairing broken relationships as a means to transform society's institutions, marriage, family, work, and government. This is true because Jesus' mission was not only to save individuals, but also to bring people, groups, and nations to himself. If he come only to save people, believers will be transferred to heaven right after their conversions. Instead, they are left in the world and entrusted with the commission to disciple the nations. Jesus always spoke of his disciples taking the kingdom of God to the people. He also compared his kingdom to heaven, light, salt, and seeds. Each of these elements must come in contact with the physical world to fulfill his destiny to infiltrate, shine, preserve, or sprout. Mm. Light, salt, heaven. No, I'm sorry. He also compared his kingdom to leaven, light, salt, and seeds. Then he says that each of these elements must come in contact with the physical world to fulfill its dis- destiny, to infiltrate, shine, preserve, or sprout. So leaven infiltrates, light shines, salt preserves, seed sprout. Jesus' design was for the church to be countercultural, not another subculture merely satisfied with survival. This is where the marketplace comes to a sharper focus. Since business is what makes the marketplace go, we need to understand that the God of ministry is also the God of business. This is the subject of the next chapter. And that is our conversation title for today. Okay. Anybody got anything? Anybody got thing going once? Anything got going twice? Going three times. All right.
Prayer time. Who wants prayer? I know we'll probably be shutting off in about 15 minutes, but y'all know the lit. Who wants prayer? Who wants prayer? Who wants prayer? You can start with me. Oh, he looked like I, <laughs> it was coming out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Father God, let me pray for her family. Rumbuko did God 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 did Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Now for you, Pamela. And while it's on my mind, um, I just said now because I'm thinking about it. Uh, Mark and Erica, we need to get back on that seed stuff next week. Yeah, happy, happy, joy, joy. Anyway, let me pray for Pamela. Because he actually told me it's a while back, and I just didn't say them, but I think now is the time to uh, 
actually conversate about this. So, you know, a while ago, I told you that I was not going to pray for you in English most part, which. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Okay. Said you wasn't going to pray for me in English. What now? I said, and if I'm correct, that is for the most part has happened that way, correct? Right. Okay. I mean, but it ties into the lesson, which is another reason, I guess, why he's having me expound on it at this time. Okay, this is the deal. We must understand the spirit, soul, and body. So you you understand the three areas, right? Mm-hmm. Now, from what you have learned, let's just concentrate on the spirit right now. From what you have learned about the spirit, expound to me what you know about the spirit, about the spirit, your spirit, the Holy Spirit. Expound to me everything that you know about it, you know, so, as much as you can. Um. The Holy Spirit is how is how God speaks to us. Um, I'm trying to remember the diagram. the The soul is in the middle, right? Mhm. Okay. And so the Spirit speaks to our soul, and our soul speaks to our flesh, right? Mhm. Okay. Um, so I guess you could say I, I get the the basic tenets of it. Um, I'm not I'm not sure where you're expecting me to go with this. I just want you to tell me whatever you whatever you know about it. Um, so, like I said, I mean, so go ahead. So, so basically, what you said is that we are components, spirit, soul, and body, and our spirit speaks to our soul. This is the proper order. This is the way God has ordained it. Proper order is that our spirit speaks to our soul. And that our soul speaks to our body as far as the proper order of control, correct? Right. And that the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit. Right. So now, when I'm praying in the spirit, what do you think is happening? For you. Well, I, I, I guess that you would be speaking to to my spirit. Mm. And what do you think your spirit is going to do? Now, let's go back to what a spiritual prayer is. A spiritual prayer is when you're praying, then you connect to God to find out what it is that God wants to do about a situation or circumstance. Then you come back and you confess that out of your mouth. So really what you're doing, you're praying to God about what he wants to do about something. Then when he's revealing it to you, you speak that out of your mouth, and that's his will being done. That's the spiritual prayer. So you're not really praying about what you want. You're praying about what he wants for you. 
still with me? So spiritual prayer. Say that again. A spiritual prayer is when I am praying and I'm getting in the presence of God to find out what is God's strategy about whatever it is that I'm dealing with, confronted or whatever, once he reveals his strategy to me about this particular situation, circumstance, or event, then I confess it out of my mouth, which is necessary because it's the way things are created in this natural world. I confess what he has revealed to me over my life. So I'm not really praying about what I want, how I feel. I'm really praying his will. Okay. So you kinda you kinda with me with that. Okay. So when I'm praying in the spirit regarding you, what does that mean to you from what we just talked about? That what that, that is the Holy Spirit talking to my spirit through you? Mhm. And what do you think it's saying? I don't know. Okay, beautiful. Do you think it'll be anything bad? Well, not if it's coming from God. Okay. So now, if if nothing bad and it's coming from God, what do you think your spirit's position would be? It should be to be receptive. Ah, yeah, go set that car. Shit, it is shit, it's going to that car. Oh, yeah, you're getting it. Now, here's where the fun begins. Now, I know we're going to get cut off. I don't know how much more time we got, so how much more time? About three minutes. So we've we've concluded that my spirit is praying for you that which God wants you to have. And your spirit is in agreement with it, so your spirit says yes. Now, what does that do to your soul and your flesh? Hmm. You already said it. Or the flesh is probably bucking against it. I mean, it's because the spirit is going to speak to my soul, and my soul will speak to to my flesh. But then, if it's huh? Go ahead. I'm just if it's if it's if it's not something that I like, my flesh is going to buck, buck against it. Okay. Now, we're going to get real personal. Well, we've been, we've, you thought this person before. So now, we need to redefine what is a flesh. Grad level. Well, okay, let me, let, me, let me simplify this to you. According to God, what is your soul? More so, what, what does it line up with more so? 
Oh, crap, I forgot. What is your soul comprised of? Oh, man, see, now I don't know where my notes are. Okay, well, what's inside of you? I mean, when you mean what's inside of me, I mean, my soul, is, my soul is inside of me. No, tell me, what's, tell me what you know, what I mean, what's inside of you. Um, uh, you're not even crying all this thinking. Okay, I'll, I'll simplify it. Your mind, your will, and emotions, what is that, what is that representative of? The mind, the will, and emotions... Well, that's that's the soul, isn't it? Yeah. So, what is that? What is that representative of? In other words, who does that? What is that? Who is that? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. What is that? Okay, I'm having a disconnect here. My mind, my will, and my my emotions. Okay. Are your mind, will, and emotions the same as my mind and will and emotions? On a large scale, yeah, but not not in deep. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.